Welcome to the Main Deck Podcast. If you like games like Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon, Dragon Ball Super, Digimon, Flesh and Blood, and many, many more, you're in the right place. For all of our TCG news and content and links to all of our socials, visit www.maindeck.games. Now, on to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Main Deck Podcast. This is episode 24. This is episode, uh, let's see, five in our Look Back series, looking back at all of the biggest TCGs in 2022. So if you're just joining us right in the middle of our series, you should check our previous episodes. Make sure you tune in those. But this one, uh, I've been very excited about this one. Uh, I'm your host, Dan Green, and I'm joined today by a guest. His name is Alex Truel. How's it going, Alex? Oh, it's going just fine. I'm glad you could have me on the show today. I needed you on the show, to be honest. <laughs> um, this is the episode where we are looking back at flesh and blood. And here at Main Deck, um, just due to, I, I don't know, chance, basically, we haven't really had anyone in our kind of our Main Deck crew who has really, uh, who really dove into flesh and blood. And this year has been, uh, I should say, I think a, a banner year for flesh and blood. I think everyone would agree with that. Um, and so I was really happy, Alex, to have you, uh, back in the main deck fold again, actually. So for our, for our <laughs> real long time followers, we're going to, we're going to do a little history lesson back in the day. We started covering a very small TCG called Metacross and Alex provided a number of very excellent, uh, mechanically focused deck building focused articles on the uh what was then the meta maniacs page you can still find those actually all on they're still on um main deck now the 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 new name of the site but um alex it's been great to be able to talk with you again and and um i guess let's just start by uh telling everyone who you are and, and what you're up to these days yeah my name is alex Truel. um as far as gaming goes right now i am the editor over at the wraith times um, it's a website that's doing news related to flesh and blood. Uh, we put out stuff about twice a week. Um, and we've been at it. We're closing in on two years now. I saw the other day that we were about to hit 300 articles or something like that, that we put together. And I realized that I had, um, at a minimum edited every single one of those formatted it for the website. Um, so that kind of struck me. I was really, I guess, churning through a lot of pieces of work there. Um, yeah, so that's kind of been the big thing. It's been exciting. Um, we do most of our content that's coming out about two thirds of our article are just open to the public. And then we have a separate section of the website that is just for people subscribing. Um, and for those we kind of reserve, that's, that's where we bring in some extra talented writers who are really putting in their best work going deep into stuff. So that's been exciting. It's really an interesting progression in my career. You know, you had mentioned that I started, uh, we were writing together. That was where our relationship built up. Um, and I, I must've been one of maybe five people who were writing about that game. I was trying to think back on what I was <laughs> reading and really, um, I started writing cause I wanted to fill that niche. I was like, I want to read stuff. There's nothing out there to read. So, um, to see that change, that progression from writing some stuff on that, and now I'm managing all of the work that's coming through. Um, it's It's been a lot of growth. It's very exciting, exciting stuff. Yeah. I, I have to say that when I, um, well, actually what, what 
really caught me right away. Like I, you know, after, after Metacross kind of died off, uh, you know, we both just sort of went and started doing our own things and whatever. And so I wasn't like, uh, you know, I don't take any offense to this. I wasn't like keeping tabs on like, Ooh, what's Alex doing today? I got to like check it out. Right. So, right. Yep. so, and because I wasn't keeping tabs on flesh and blood, I kind of, I missed the Wraith times thing for a while, but I caught when you posted, I think earlier this year, uh, on social media that, um, you were a guest writer, uh, for flesh and blood.com for the, the official website. And you went and did a, you did a number of guest articles this year. Um, and I actually went and I started reading some of them and I was like, because I, mean, I was just really excited to see that, um, you had kind of broken out there now. And then, and now I've looked back and see like, oh man, he's like, he's doing all sorts of sweet editorial work. So, um, I was, I was really proud of you. I felt, I felt like, you know, it was just cool to see you step in from just like doing some guest writing here. And I'm, I'm sure you've done plenty of other stuff, but just from my knowledge, it was like you had guest written for me for a while. And now you're like, you're now you're writing in the big leagues. So I thought yeah, that was great. That was, that was a breakthrough that happened this year. You know, they reached out to me, which I think is pretty cool. You know, when you don't go knocking on their door, but they come to you. Um, and I had heard some buzz about this because I had a couple of my writers that I work with through the Rave Times. And a couple of them were saying, you know what? They were reading my work on the website. They're, they're following what we're doing and they're reaching out to some of us asking to do guest segments. And I thought, well, that's cool. You know, it's neat that I have a part in fostering these other writers and moving them up to this. Um, there's a little bit of envy there. You know, when I first started getting these reports, I'm like, well, they didn't knock on my door yet. <laughs> so, um, you know, there was, it was a short window. I was actually pretty early on that they did end up reaching out to me. And they kind of expressed, they said, we weren't sure about it because we know you're really busy with the stuff that you're doing. We weren't sure if it would be, you know, a conflict of interest or you just wouldn't have the time for it. So we started reaching out to some others before we came around to you. And I'm like, oh, no, absolutely. I understand. Um, and I appreciate you assuming that I'm busy, but I'm not too busy for you. No, absolutely. So they gave me the shot to write for it. And I was happy to do it. And, um, you know, the, the first time that I wrote for the company, actually, I was covering tournament events that were going on across the world. So I'd get some statistics in and stuff like that, and I'd, I'd work with that. Um, and the second time that I wrote for them, they actually had me covering one of their premier events. And I was getting information from the team on the ground as these things were happening. I had the spreadsheets in front of me, the same ones they were working. And, um, you know, they're like, it, it was like a 48 hour turnaround, you know, it was like the event is going to wrap. And then by two days later, your article needs to be live. So, I mean, it was one of those things where I set aside the whole weekend. I'm like, this is what I'm doing this weekend. And, um, it's really exciting to be a part of that. So, yeah. And with, with articles like that, you know, how ANSI TCG players get in any TCG about, about seeing the results and everything. You can't wait. Yeah. It's gotta be up. Yeah. So. No, it's old news. If you don't get on it, it, it's not even worth publishing. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, I, I just think it's so cool. I'm, I'm so, I'm so proud of you for everything that you've done. Just even as just kind of an outside person. Um, uh, how do you, how do you feel? I guess this is just kind of something that struck me interesting. How, how do you, uh, how do you feel about doing editing versus writing? Do you have something that you prefer doing? Do you like being the one who kind of curates all your writers and, and, and everything? Or do you like being the one who's actually putting the word to the page? Yeah, that's actually a great question. So what I find, I enjoy putting words in the page. I do like putting together an article, but I don't really have the time in my life to gain the expertise that I would want to speak about some of the things that I want to talk about. 
I really like bringing in writers whose street cred is stronger than mine. Um, so I, I have no problem going out there and throwing my opinion at the wall. That really doesn't bother me. Um, I've worked with a lot of writers who we've ended up discussing imposter syndrome in writing and in gaming. And that's such a big thing. It's feeling that I haven't really made it, so I shouldn't really be talking about it. And I'm just kind of like, you know, if you feel you have something to say, you can put the words together to say it. That's good enough. You have made it. And don't worry about imposter syndrome because, you know, all of us are working on it. All of us are still making progress. All of us are still learning. But it's rare that a person both has the capability to wrap their head around the game and to speak about what they're thinking. And the combination of those two attributes, if you think you've got it, you're miles ahead of so many Man, I, yeah, this is okay. I think this is going to end up being like the deepest podcast of this whole series because I like <laughs> that. But that really that's what you're saying there. That really rings true with me. Like every every single bit of it. You know, I'm I'm the same as everyone else. I suffer from this imposter stuff. Like I'm someone who I'm out here doing doing this content. I have I ever have I ever top aided like a major tournament in my life? Uh, I don't think so. Well, I guess like <laughs> depends on how you define major. There's been a couple events where I've like done all you know like I've gotten up there. I've been all right, but like you know I, mm -hmm. I haven't ever been in like a top cut of a of Grand Prix invited to a pro tour or anything. I haven't been you know like world's events i just watch my friends and cheer them on every time well um, and see if you don't go to the events then you can tell yourself that it's just lack of opportunity otherwise you would 100 percent. yeah yep. yeah yeah yep. i would have been i would have been fine the problem is i go to these events and like back in back in uh uh just be a shout out to our, our panini dbz players but like back when i would go to those events <laughs> i i just i bring like dumb stuff like napa or whatever i'm like i'm gonna do i'm gonna yeah. get people with napa they're never gonna see it coming yeah <laughs> and, and then, then you like, tell yourself out. And then you tell yourself, well, it's okay because I brought the crazy deck. Of course I wasn't going to win. Yeah. You know, if I've often said this, people, you know, they'll, you have conversations and they're like, I know this is the best deck in the game, but I really want to bring my pet deck. You know, I feel very comfortable with my pet deck and I just can't decide, you know, am I shooting myself in the foot? I only go to this tournament once. And if I scrub out playing a stupid deck that I should have known better. And I'm like, you know, even if you bring the best deck in, you know what the best deck is. You objectively, let's all objectively agree, there's a best deck. Are you also the best player of the best deck in the game? Because if you're not both of those things, what's the point? Because is, there's going to be all those other people who bring the best deck in the game. Your best odds are to bring the unconventional deck that you know best and be the one who surprises somebody. Because otherwise, you're competing with every single person who is bringing the best deck and every single person who practiced against the best deck. That, and then that you've only got yourself. Yeah. You've only yeah. got yourself to blame when you don't. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly the line of, of logic I use every time when I'm, when I'm signing up for these tournaments. I, I, I'm not the kind of person who like, I guess I'd honestly say I don't even enjoy like chasing the like play and playing the best deck and perfecting it or whatever. Like, right. Like, props to the people who like like to go okay this is the best deck i'm gonna grind i'm gonna try and be the best with it like that's mm -hmm. awesome i don't the feedback loop isn't really there for me um and, right. and it's it's almost for me like when i go to a, a and play in a major tournament for anything um i my win condition isn't necessarily to like place highly but my win condition is 
for for considering like if I had a good day, it's I want to I generally want to just show people something that they haven't seen. Um, if absolutely, if I, if I can do that, if I can just sit down, if you know, maybe I I like go four four or something like whatever like an even splitter or some you know like i said with that napa deck i bubbled out from that that was a gen con i i was like i was right. this close to top cutting with napa i was almost there because it was a cool deck but um as long as i got to show a few people you know what this deck does who are like better players than me and they can go oh wow that's like that's kind of neat then like that's a successful tournament for me that's the kind of thing i like doing. right yeah absolutely um it's funny I, because i was go gonna ahead. say jen Gen Con is one of those areas that we actually have a very specific overlap. You talk about that. That was our that was our one in person meeting. Yes, <laughs> was you were running the you were running the Metacross event there, and uh, it was one of the best tournaments I played in at Gen Con. I still got to say because everybody there, this was past the game's prime, and so every and I use the word prime very generously, very loosely. <laughs> very loosely you know let's let's just put it out there um that game was a little bit of a ride um but it, it had some good mechanics and honestly i'm never going to begrudge anybody who takes up a game because they enjoyed it if you had fun great you know and and to the makers of games if you make a game and i enjoy it that's that's great i don't care if you drove it into the ground like ultimately i want you to do well with it but I'm not going to begrudge you. I'm not going to hold it against you. So anyway, this tournament was past the game's prime and every single person who came to it was just there to enjoy it and was there to enjoy the company of the people and to basically have an event, the likes of which the game never actually was. And it was just, it was the same weekend that I played in a, was it the same weekend? It was. It was the same weekend that I played in a Dragon Ball Z tournament. And both of them were my first large-scale tournaments. And I'm, I'm going to throw the DBZ guys under the bus here for just a moment. The contrast between the games could not have been sharper. I had so much fun with a bunch of people who were just there to have a good time playing in that Metacross tournament. And that Dragon Ball Z tournament, I swear two guys almost threw down things were tense <laughs> that, things that were community tense. has a, has a history was, <laughs> it does it does and i felt like i walked into something that i wasn't ready for and people were tense and they were serious and they were there to prove something and i was not there to prove anything <laughs> and they very clearly said you don't have a reason to be here if you're not trying to prove something because i was eliminated so quickly by those other decks and i was like you know i just apparently this is not the game for me i am not good at it <laughs> so <laughs> i think i think different tcgs and and i think you especially see this after a tcg passes um yes and and, and we go on to this like yeah it's the the community that sticks with it um generally i, I think they kind of coalesce around a particular mindset um, yes. and I think the people who are sticking with Metacross, I don't look, look, there's just the fact is if you were sticking out Metacross cause you were a competitive gamer, you were, you were, I mean, you were in the wrong place. That was like, absolutely. That when was Metacross was alive, it wasn't the, it wasn't a com very competitive game. They had, they ended up having like almost or no actual competitive events. Like you said. Oh, um, and also there was the discoveries of janky decks that just could not be outplayed. And so like. To start out the game, you had to kind of be on an agreement with the other 
person that, hey, we're both here to have fun, right? We're both yeah. here to play a game. We both intend to actually have cards and resources and play said cards. Like, you're not going to just completely exclude me from this gameplay, right? And if the other guy wasn't on the same page, there was no point in playing that game out. You know, it's so, so funny. When we were testing for the game, too, like, we tried so hard to, like, pull out the decks that did that. Um, there were a number of decks you guys didn't get to see that, I mean, <laughs> if, if you enjoy excluding your opponent from games, that was, for a period of time in playtesting, that was the premier game to play. There were there were multiple ways mm. of just completely making sure your opponent didn't ever get to play a card or whatever. So. Man, I tell you, the playtesting mindset, I just don't think I could get myself there. Because you difficult. see people, because people come up with, you know, a set releases and gamers are piecing together how to exploit every little angle and use cards in unconventional ways. And playtesting apparently doesn't catch all of them. And I just think, is that the mindset I've got to bring to this where every single card I look at it, I think, how could this be exploited? Then I got to build the deck to exploit it. And then it actually has to function. Like, it's not enough to come to the table and be like, hey, did you know this janky idea could happen? You actually have to make it oppressive because it's okay if it can happen, if it doesn't matter, if it's ultimately irrelevant to the editing. So like, just that constantly being on the cutting edge of stuff, it feels exhausting. It, I, yeah, it is, honestly. And our, our playtesting <laughs> I don't blame was, guys for letting stuff through. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was in sprints. We were doing the, we would do like, um, you know, Actually, a, a couple months was probably a good amount of time that we had to to get our testing in. And there were multiple groups. Um, uh, we had a couple groups in the U.S., a uh, group in um, Australia. Uh, actually, we had a few groups in the U.S. and a group in Australia. And we were all just like trying to share thoughts. And, you know, every day it was just kind of like you're waking up, you're going about your day. You still got to work. Like, it's not like it pays enough right. to be like a full time thing. Right. Um, you know, if you're a magic play tester, maybe. But like, you know, I, I don't not not for a small game like that. Um, right. so like I'm out working, but it, like, as I'm working, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to think about like, okay, like, is there, are there anything I'm missing? I have the card list on my phone. I'm like, just like looking through it when I have time to like try and find mm -hmm. things because you, as you said, there's just, there's so many steps to it, you know, and we, we try to share ideas all the time and see like, Hey, I think this thing, this card seems like it could be busted. Can anyone, anyone like think of anything to do with this? Um, and then sometimes y'all just go, yeah, I don't like, maybe it could be, well, we couldn't like figure it out and it's playtesting's got to right. got to be done this week so uh you just ship it out there and then you get cards that like unexpected turn around that are like well, oh actually this is not a really a card that should exist <laughs> right uh, right and people is. get so frustrated they're like how did you miss this it's like because you don't know how many permutations we went through of this entire game yeah like sometimes a card isn't busted until you've eliminated 40 other ones and you don't even come back to it yeah, and, and the other thing that I think some people don't think about too is that like it's not even just the iterations of the cards. What you're dealing with is the iterations of a meta game in particular, right. because uh, right. a card could be completely fair under a particular meta game, and you could iterate through that meta game that like a very similar versions of that meta game for a month and a half. And then right at the end, you go, okay, you know what? Actually, now that we made these three tweaks to these cards, now this deck isn't very good anymore. Um, and this deck probably takes his place. And then suddenly the check for card, 
you know, queue that no one's even thinking about is not really a part of the game anymore. And now right. suddenly card queue becomes like a crazy combo. And you just like, you know, it's like, I feel like if you're going to play test, you need, you need like a hyperbolic time chamber or something to be able to sit down and like play enough in, in the short amount of time to be able to like go through every iteration until everything is pristine, but it's just, it never happens. So you have to accept that stuff slips through for sure. Yeah. Hey, now that you made a dragon ball Z reference, I did want to go down the list here and just compare what games we've got as overlap because I'm curious. I see some of the snapshots, you know, on your main deck, some of the cards that you use on your, your graphics. And I think this guy's got some taste, you know? All right. I mean, yeah, maybe, let's do it. Maybe, maybe you missed the, the exit ramp for Flesh and Blood, but I, I think we've hit a lot of the same stuff. So I was curious to compare. So obviously, uh, let's work backwards here. Um, Metacross was the last game that I was seriously buying while it was actively coming out prior to picking up Flesh and Blood. So we go back to that, and we've got that in common. Prior to that, it was Dragon Ball Z under its resurgence with Panini. Yes. And then also the Fan Z community. And I followed that one up until just Super is when I dropped off because That's I wasn't everybody. playing it enough. I yep. wasn't playing it enough anymore to justify the expense. And I said, you know what? I update these decks and then I get together with my brothers and we play a couple of games and then I've got new cards, but they don't have new cards. Like maybe we should just freeze the meta where we're at and call it a day. And that's kind of where we ended up. So, um, so I played a lot of that game, not competitively, honestly, flesh and blood's the first one I've really played competitively as far as a card game goes. And even that, you know, I've, I've got two kids, uh, nine and five, and um, my wife owns a small business, uh, which is not so small, and I walk, work within it as well. So between those things, it's not, it's not, I don't have a life where I can be pursuing competitive card games. Um, not right now, anyway. Um, and so, you know, those who don't have the time to do teaches, I guess, what it amounts to. Me too. Um, <laughs> right, right. Um, prior to that, uh, there was, of course, you know, Panini's Dragon Ball Z was an evolution of Scores Dragon Ball Z, uh, which we were just ragging on Metacross pretty hard. But I want to back us up to Scores Dragon Ball Z for a moment and talk about how that game fully embraced power creep. It said, no, that, that's not a game design <laughs> flaw. That is a feature. It's They're like, well, this is... This it's is what dramatic. Dragon Ball Z is all about. Yes. Yeah, exactly. like, it's all about power creep. <laughs> so we're just going to keep going. And um, so, I mean, in contrast, like say what you will about Panini as a company. And sometimes people do. Um, but they really grasped, like, we need a long-term game plan. If we're going to revisit Dragon Ball Z, we have to do it with an idea of big balance, and long-term development. And they did fantastic at it. Um and so I think I, they don't get enough credit for that. I'm really glad you bring that up because because like you can compare to a lot of other just like modern iterations of card games. Yes. Uh, Panini Z for the the sets it went through, it has had to ban fewer cards than almost every other modern TCG you see in that like amount of sets that have been released. Right. And have, you know, yes, there's there's always going to be a meta tier. Now, there, are, there are decks that are at the cutting edge and there are ones that are getting left behind. But honestly, I never felt as if I had to stop playing a character because they were irrelevant. And that that was fantastic. I, I tell you what, 
from the time that Panini started producing Dragon Ball Z, I've maybe played five games of score. It just wasn't worth going back to. So, I mean, that's going to be heresy to a lot of our Dragon Ball Z faithful. Um, but I've, I've said before, I wasn't cut out for the, you know, the WWE Smackdowns. <laughs> that's not for me. I can't take that. I want to be janky and fun. And, uh, you know, in score, I wanted to play Goldo to the end. So, <laughs> wow. What a, what a gamer. I love it. Um, yeah. I mean, that's just where I'm at. <laughs> I want to shout out to like, by, by the way, so, so before anyone pulls up the pitchforks, I absolutely love our, our retro community. I, I th- throw in a little shade just for fun. Um, the guys yeah. are very like the, that, that community retro score and, and Panini Z are a community, which is, which is fairly tight knit. Um, with yeah. and and rivalry is built into the community like like from the start whereas like the metacross community is, well yeah yeah absolutely but like like you know your contrast was the metacross community which was just like yeah let's, let's play some games it sounds fun <laughs> you know exactly it's, like, um, it's very different so i absolutely have no ill will at all and i love the panini and and retro dbz communities because you know the that's where i that game is where i started to really i guess sort of like blossom as someone who is like getting into being a a sort of a contributor to the community in various ways that's where i got to be right um, do my do my like highest level judging and get involved and helping people understand because one thing i will always throw panini at is like the the rule set is is convoluted in panini c um then to be fair they were working with the score set and trying to trying to retool it while keeping they held on to more of it than they probably should have yeah i understand why they did um but yeah that was always going to hold them back a little bit was the more they tried to stay legacy the more they were going to be burdened with all of the mess that score had going on Um, 100 yeah and to the community i do want to say like i love when a community knows who it is has an identity and you know you come to the table and you know what you're there for and you know what you're into um and I think they would be the first ones to say, if you find our style a little bit rough, it might not be for you. Mm-hmm. And I, I, totally. I, I harbor no ill will towards that, you know? And, and that's what I found over time. I was like, this community isn't for me. And that's okay. I love that the community exists. I love that people still play old games. Um, you know, my, my track record of old games is, is deep and I've still got all the cards on my shelf. Um, and so I love that people build these communities where they, they keep it alive. Um, and more importantly, keep the friendships alive. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes you're going to have an interloper who's so late to the party that they don't get the inside jokes and that's okay. You know, and sometimes they'll be like, that's okay. I'll find my niche here. And sometimes they're going to be like, you know, this isn't a fit and whichever way it is, it's fine. Totally. Really it is. Totally agree. Did you um, did you have any other games in our in our little trek back history in history? Yeah, so before Dragon Ball Z, I was on. Let's see, there was the versus system okay. when that was being done. Um, you know, before this new uh, two PCG whatever. Yeah, the mm-hmm. the living card game before yep. that, back when it was collectible. Um, I played that in my college years. And I, I played versus for a short time. I played a very short mm-hmm. time. I think it was, there was a DC set that had come out or something. It was, it was pretty early on. You know, this is like, I think around like 
when it, they had that big burst of people coming in because they announced their like giant cash prizes and it was like at the time it was yes. like, whoa this is crazy and and now it's yep. just like every other game is like yeah we got like a million or whatever on the line like, yeah sorry. exactly exactly <laughs> yep that's how that works prior to that was star wars by decipher mm. that that is an enduring game that one gets it gets in you and yes. um it was it was in retrospect too ambitious for its own good it was trying to do everything it was going to be a, a trading card game that encapsulated the entire star wars universe on a table and i loved it for that and sometimes i hated it for that and that that was it was so ambitious and for its time to know what it was up against and, and the world that it existed within like it nothing compared even to this day nothing really compares to how ambitious they were with that game so the longtime podcast listeners know that the running gag here is that I try and slip in a reference to Star Wars CCG in every single podcast we do. So, I did it for you this time. Yes, I didn't have to yes. do it this time. I yep. the ambition thing couldn't honestly couldn't be more spot on. They're, like I I can't ever really for people who just hear about the game from me every time I bring it up, whatever. I can't I can't put into words what you what you can like understand that game is about by by experiencing it and playing it and everything it's like it 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 was a game that attempted what honestly should be completely unthinkable which is like a build your own star wars adventure every single time you sit down and play except it's also a competitive card game um which right. like you said is completely collectible and everything too it's like it's the kind of thing where we we look at a board game that in fact they, they made star wars rebellion is effectively that in a board game form um, right for Star Wars fans, but but then take so imagine like the amount of playtesting effort that has to go into that and like trying to get all the story beats in there as as like options, but not necessarily something that has to happen every time. And then go, okay, now how do we make this a collectible game? And then we and then you know even more instead of like what if the dark side doesn't care about Vader? What if what if all they want to do is uh, what's a, what's a, um, they want to be Jabba's palace? They want to they want to catch bounties and toss them in the sunlight. My, my favorite deck for all of that game was playing a swarms of Jawas. I yes. wanted to ride around in sand crawlers, <laughs> and I didn't even want to fight you. I just wanted to steal your cards, and that was <laughs> and it was it was to a degree viable, and I love that about the game. It was so absurd sometimes what you could do. You could do anything to the point where they inside the game, they literally implemented rules for playing the fictional card game Sabacc within the CCG. So if you played the and right the card. And could do that. Yes, so it was yes. Doing C Sabacc card from, I think, oh. I think that was in special edition is when they added in the ability. It had for the worst. They were the lowest stakes, but it was the most fun version. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. If you wanted to play gas mining, Tabana gas mining versus uh, control of the Senate in episode one. Like these were the, like the, the thrilling yeah. matchups you would get to have playing the star Wars CCG. And I just, yeah, there's nothing, nothing will ever, you're right. The big thing is ambition. No other yes. game. Every other game is coming at this. Actually, I'm going to contrast something I said in a previous look back episode when I think it was when we were talking about the, my hero game with Mitch, um, I think a lot of our current TCGs stand on the shoulders of all our older ones where they, they get to go, mm -hmm. okay, this is how we are. Now, now we're, every, I th we're saying that nearly every game that comes out, 
they're they're not as wildly variant in whether they're good or bad. They're all just generally pretty good compared to kind of that that golden era where where it was yes. like, you know, you had a game that was Magic the Gathering and then you had a game that was I'm not going to throw anything under the bus, but just some like other like, you know, what like Austin Power CCG or I don't know, Overpower. We sure. don't got we don't got to throw it under the bus. It's under the bus. We can crawl <laughs> down there and talk about it for a minute. Perfect. Well, yeah, so yeah. you had games where it just like it very wildly. And these days it seems like they all just kind of understand, okay, here's how we make a game where like power creep isn't as big of an issue uh, and the, things are relatively balanced and players have options and there's interaction and, you know, like all these things are in there. So you sit down, you play the game and you go, yeah, that was pretty fun. Like you play most TCGs these days. You sit down and yeah. you go, yeah, I see it. Like at least you go, I see why people would like this, you know, it, yeah. you know, it, and but what you're missing, I think, from that is it's almost slightly homogenized um, in a yes. way, in, in the way release TCGs. You miss these like these like big risk games, like the way that they decided to go about Star Wars CCG, which ended up just like, you know, it, they they were able to make it work somehow yes. in the yes, super ambitious game. Yeah, it was again, it was just a remarkable game for what it accomplished. Because I've never seen a game set out to do something that big again since then. I don't know if if lessons were learned or what. Um, you know, you dig into the history of that game and find out that there was basically corporate scandal that brought it down. I don't know that I've ever heard of a TCG that crumpled under corporate problems rather than like loss of interest. For for people who are unaware, the big the big hit was a um money laundering by if i recall the like either the brother-in-law or the stepbrother or something of of one of the ceos who then like just like funneled a bunch of money out basically and then it was time to renew the license and they were like uh-oh and then a lot of people a lot of people don't realize too that this was right the time the period like about the last year or so when suddenly decipher released a swath of these reflection sets. They were taking all their old cards and pop putting them in with some foils and stuff. And like a, a few sheets of some new cards and, and like a couple months in between each one, they're like, buy our old cards again, buy our old cards again, just desperate to make enough money to hold onto the license because they lost it all in this, in this scam basically. Um, yeah. And they couldn't. And thus wizards released the star Wars TCG, which was a, a, um, a game it was a game yes. that that came out yes and what was remarkable about this was everything was going so well i know prior to this prior to this because they came in with star wars while the special edition was being released in the theaters and they were there producing an active well-designed game as the prequels were coming into theaters they were mm. right on the scene like this was a Star Wars resurgence, the likes of which hadn't been seen before. Like, sometimes people forget that Star Wars wasn't always there in pop culture. Like, it dipped. Mm -hmm. And it became like a nerd interest before it came back to the mainstream. And this was, this was precisely when this game was being produced. And they should have rode that gravy train all the way to the top. So... Yeah. It's, it's I, one I of the always great gaming out for that. tragedies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Um, a lot yeah. of people don't even realize the, like, what's really funny now is with our current sort of resurgence of Disney's uh, rendition of Star Wars, leaving all opinions aside, like, whatever you think is great. Um, but th what people don't realize is that Star Wars CCG had a, a way bigger impact 
than current Star Wars fans realize. Because at the time, when they were producing Star Wars CCG, there was there was this insane deal, again, the likes of which we'll never see again, worked out between Decipher and Lucasfilm. Decipher told Lucasfilm, we're making this game, and we're going to make, and, and I don't know who's, you know, who pushed this idea out there, but basically they had the joint idea to like, yeah, everyone in like every scene is going to be able to be a card that you can use. Cause again, the ambition was, was, right. you know, insane. Um, and they had the, at the time, what had to be like the greatest Photoshop editors you can imagine, like, and they, got, Oh my goodness. Did they ever, they had access from what I, from what I've read, they had access to the like the actual just film rolls and they were able to get in there and and just isolate anything they needed and and bring us so you see like these random cantina aliens you didn't even know were in that scene they're, oh, they're actually in the corner for like two seconds and then they're they get this full alien as a card that you get to play now the thing is did george lucas have names for every single alien no Nope. Every single person in the death stars uh conference meeting you know no he didn't have names for all those but when they made them as cards in Star Wars CCG, they had to make names for them. So uh, a lot of people who are now like big Star Wars fans who've watched through Clone Wars and, and have watched some of the current stuff, Andor is another Rebels, he, he shows up and they know Colonel Wolfularen is an ISB operative in this, in this uh, period of time. That dude was named by the CCG, literally right. never had a name until the CCG w took out a little picture of him. They're like, well... What's his name? And they wrote it down <laughs> right. on a card. And now he's it's literally canon. He was named by the CCG. So here's one thing I have always wondered about. Maybe you know the answer to this. Did Decipher name and create the Bounty Hunter starships? Ooh. That's a that is a question. I don't I don't okay, so like some of these like Yularen, I know, I know was named by this. Uh, there's a lot of random right. aliens, the Clatoonians, uh Nikto, Bar there was a it was a Star Trek joke that Decipher put into to Star Wars. They made they named an alien an alien Clatu, an alien Barada, and an alien Nikto as a reference to the line from Star Trek. Um and now and now you see like Clatoonian revolutionaries in the Mandalorian all the time and stuff. Right. And, but but the bounty hunter ships that um, I haven't ever heard specifically, but because I remember opening those those yeah. booster packs from Dagobah and being Dagobah, blown fun away, set. I was like, I was like, where on earth was the houndstooth? I don't yeah. remember seeing that in the movie. You, you, and I'm you looking don't. at it; and it looks like it's in the movie. Like again, your Photoshop guys, they were good. Uh, they were and crazy like, bad. To this day, the artwork from those cards is some of the most prominent artwork of these ships. Yep. And it's and like then then Fantasy Flight makes X-Wing and they make a houndstooth and what is it? It's the picture from the CCG. Like it's if precisely you, that. It didn't exist before the CCG. I as far as I'm aware. So like I think they they very well could have been named some of these might have been named in, you know, one thing one thing to keep in mind is that some of these sets came out a bit later and there's certainly a wealth of expanded universe stuff. N nothing yes, about the novelization Wolf Yularen, could have but done it. Yeah, there could have yeah. been like a it could have been a novelization, it could have been expanded universe just cuz at some point, you know, you have to imagine from that the bounty hunter lineup in Empire there's there's some novelists who are like, oh, I'm going to write about the dude with the turban on his head. Like, that guy looks dope. Right. So <laughs> maybe know? maybe the book named The Punishing One, but they certainly didn't design what it looked like then. You know, yeah, that I mean, they could somewhere have, else. They could have described know. it, though, I guess. Like, I'm not sure. Like, Dengar could have had a whole thing where they, they got to describe what a ship looks like, and then CCG just... Because the thing is, CCG was beholden to 
making everything as like match canon as best as they could. And, and back then, right. of course the canon was kind of like wild west where it, it's, it's a little more reined in these days <laughs> under Disney. Um, right. and so like, I imagine if they, if they sat down and go, okay, we're going to make Dengar ship, uh, then they probably had to go, all right, well, uh, who's, where, where are our story guys? Who's read all the novels? Like, wh- wh- did it show up in anything? Right. Like, what is, what did they say? And then just do their best. Maybe they had to like cobble it together after there. So I don't know the answer. I don't know the chicken or egg answer to this. Somebody's uh, going to comment on this video and tell us. I hope so. I would love that. <laughs> comment down yep. below if you, if you know the answer to where the bounty airships come. It also might, a trip to Wikipedia maybe will answer us for it, answer that for us also. Yeah, that's probably true, but that's less exciting. Yeah, <laughs> I love having the commenters instead. Um, <laughs> so, okay, I, I don't mean to cut you off, uh, but, I, you know, if you get me talking about Star Wars, it's going to be the whole podcast. So Yeah, we can't do that. We can't do that. <laughs> We're not here for that. Did you want to cover any other card games real quick before we jump to the main topic, what people came here for? No, once we once we made a name drop for Overpower, we've gone all the way back to my history. So Okay, and I'll say... Go. I didn't. I didn't actually play Overpower. That's the one. My first card game was Star Wars CCG. That's that's how I cut my teeth learning how to play mm-hmm. card games, which is which probably explains a lot to people about my brain at this point because uh, right. the game was was not the easiest one to learn at the time. Yep. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I've talked about that in enough podcast episodes. So, Alex, while I have you here, let's talk about what everyone came here for, which is this is our 2022 look back series. And we are now looking back at Flesh and Blood, the one game that I have the hardest time really talking about in detail. So I'm so grateful that you've uh, returned to the the main deck community to help everyone out here. Um, I'm sure we'll have some listeners who are well, uh, very well invested into Flesh and Blood and just interested to hear your take. And I'm also sure we'll have a number of listeners who um, have only heard about the game and don't know. So Alex, why don't you just start by telling everyone how it just in general how was 2022 for the flesh and blood trading card game right so i'm going to start off by just telling you where i came from on flesh and blood okay the pandemic started up and i had an itch to get into a new game as i said it had been a while since i was playing a card game and i said you know what i just want to look for another card game. it's time for me to start cracking boosters again i missed that so i went out there look and What I happened across in Flesh and Blood was this little import of a game that you had to, you know, there were probably five people carrying it in the U.S. or something like that. But you you had to, they were getting them imported out from New Zealand. And, um, you know, you could buy a booster box for $60, which was less than it was supposed to be. But, you know, that's that's how it is. They got to move things on the Internet. And... um, what caught me about it was that it felt like Dragon Ball Z and that you had two heroes who were stepping onto the battlefield and they were going head to head with each other and you were throwing attacks at each other. But imagine instead that every card in your deck could also be the block. You were no longer drawing into too many blocks or not enough blocks and therefore you were just taking attacks without actually having options. Now every single card in your deck was an attack or it was a defense. And so you had choices. With every single hand you were looking at, you had choices. And every time that something came at you, you got to reevaluate those choices. Is the attack that I'm planning to throw back going to be worth more than blocking? So all of that is in there. And then they cleverly tie a third thing. Every card is also a resource. So now in this game, every single card can either be used to attack, used to pay for an attack, 
or used to keep you from taking another person's attack. And just all around, I was like, there's no useless hand. There's no useless card. Everything has a role at a minimum. There's bad uses and good uses. There's optimization and lack of it. Um, so I was excited, and I didn't care that this was a game that I was going to import and nobody around here was playing it. Like, you go on the website, you're like, where can I find a game? And it's like, Chicago. I'm like, okay, well, middle of Wisconsin, and that's not too bad, but I'm not going to be going weekly, that's for sure. So, like, I was starting a game with the intent, because it was the pandemic anyway, that I was going to sit at home and learn this game and probably goldfish against myself, you know, for all of time, potentially, because this is... <laughs> Possibly going to be another game that doesn't go anywhere, but mm -hmm. looked like fun. I was going to enjoy it. So that was the game back in 2019. And 2020 saw it gain legitimacy around the world. Um, I had a local game store that was opening up in a small town near me, and I reached out to them and I said, hey, this is a game I'm interested in. Let me know if you decide to pick it up. And they reached back out to me a couple months later and they said, you mentioned that you play that game and we want to get it started here. Our distributor has been talking about it a lot. And so we're in this small town and I'm putting on a learn to play event. And we had like 15 people come to this learn to play in, you know, a, a tiny little town, Ripon, Wisconsin. You know, I got a shout out to Alexandria Games. They're starting a game store in Ripon, Wisconsin, and they have built such an amazing community. So now we've come from, this is an import game that you have to buy online and you don't have anyone to actually play it with, to this is a game that can actually find a following even in small communities. You don't have to go to a big city. You can find people who enjoy playing it. So that's been, you know, 2020, 2021. But really this past year has put it on the map in it it feels to me as if we've prepared for it and now we are coming out in society you know it, it's kind of like the game has finally found its platform and it's showing what it can do it's holding major tournaments all across the world um with people winning major prizes and i know we talked earlier everybody's got a million dollars to throw around these days for a prize pool um but the ability for this game to have taken the hold that it has in such a short time period, and when the deck was really stacked against it, I mean, can you imagine a worse time to launch a brand new in-person trading card game than when no one can get together in person to play it? Like, by all means, that should have been the death of it right then and there. Um, but the game is just so good and the community more importantly that the company wanted to build up and that the players wanted to build around it um you know they very quickly said we are a hundred percent in support of you guys playing this game online build online platforms play it over video whatever you've got to do but like they got it they said we don't want anybody making poor choices we don't want our game to be a reason people make poor choices so it may hurt our sales but just play it online just learn it you know and build a community that way and that was where it started from you know it was a physical card game that was forced to start on whoever was able to build a platform for it online and they they pulled it off 
and they outlasted that. And then they just became, the next step was we can't produce enough to meet demand. And then that experience is just awful for anyone coming into a new game where everything is jacked through the roof on prices. There was a time period where what Flesh and Blood was best known for was for investment opportunities. And that's not great. Um, no, nope. we listeners know how that I feel too. about that. <laughs> right, right. And so we weathered through that too. And now we're at a point the game is comfortably making enough cards for everybody. Uh, generally, you can afford what you want to get. Um, the meta for it is, is very, they've done a great job of keeping on top of it. And um, yeah, so this year then put out um, three expansions. They've got this nice, comfortable pace that I really appreciate financially. Um, but they launched three expansions. Um, they had a series of tournaments around the world um, that culminated in their first world tournament that was held in California and um, could not have had a better ambassador for the game who managed to take that first world champion crown. Uh, Michael Hamilton, he's, he's a guy that's been writing for the race times as well. Um, we were fortunate to be on the right side of that one. <laughs> <laughs> it was excellent because it was probably a month before he won this that he put out his most recent article on our website and it was about the deck that he won it with. Wow. And that's I was awesome. like, this is just, this is just fantastic, you know? So anyways, um, yeah, it's just, it's been a really good year for the game where it's sorted out its early growing pains. Um, you know, if it had problems before with not producing enough cards, now it was producing enough. Um, they've had some hiccups with card balance being introduced and they started out being very strong. We don't want to have erratas. We don't want to have bands. Doesn't every game. And eventually they yep. said, you know what? We want to take an active role in making sure that your gaming experience is good. Um, and so now they're doing temporary suspensions on some cards just to change the metagame. And they're saying, you know what? We think this card has a place in the future. We've tested into the future. But for right now, take it out of your decks and we'll revisit it in four months or something like that. Things like that. Um, so just all around the game is becoming more for players. And that's really where a game should always be. Uh, it's moving away from being about collectors or about exploits. And it's becoming about just play what you have a good time with and we'll do our best to make it playable. So I want to jump in really quick um, because I mean, yeah, yeah, you, you laid out a great, a great, you know, brief history of everything related to flesh and blood there. One thing that really stands out to me from all of that is that um, there were a number of TCGs that were getting started uh, during the pandemic or like just were sort of in there in what were really the formative, you know, months of the game where they really things needed to kind of go right for them to take off. And then the pandemic happened. Um, almost every single TCG noticeably floundered uh, due to the pandemic. Um and and I you know I I would say like from what you were saying too, Flesh and Blood certainly had its struggles as well. But I think now that we've seen 2022, we're looking back at 2022, which is really the first year 
where I mean, we're we're more or less post pandemic at this point. Um, I, th- I think most people can can agree that this is kind of the first year where it feels like we don't necessarily have the weights of the pandemic holding the games down this year. So it was kind of their first chance to get back onto the onto people's minds, get where people can get into stores and and play comfortably throughout the majority of the year. Um, and I think of all the games where where that I keep an eye on, Flesh and Blood is the one that that seemed to have generated during that time the most momentum to the point where yeah. when it when things kicked off again, it was like f- for a while, you know, during this pandemic, I wasn't sure if Flesh and Blood was going to make it. I'm sure a number of people felt that way, too. It was like, you know, it just like it seemed like it was another, ooh, you know, the pandemic got it and and it's probably right. under now. It, it would have been a sad story. But but out of nowhere, it's like it felt it feels like because, it, you know, I just if I really I, I imagine this just slingshot being held back during the pandemic and and every game, the 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 um, the players are kind of pulling back the the shot a little bit farther, depending on which game it is. It's like Flesh and Blood had it like all the way back here. And as soon as the pandemic ended, that thing flew and the momentum built up. It just like it seems like it just kind of yeah. rocketed out of the gate. It's like it's like it just released. Um, with the amount of excitement and, and pressure it has that it's like, I can't, I'm, I'm honestly impressed with, um, with what legend story studios has done. And, and I don't know what it is, what to attribute it to. If it's, if it's that, that sensibility they took during the pandemic where they just were trying to get people playing the game in any way they could, you know, I think other, a number of other games did that too, but I think really it's just sort of this confluence of everything with, um, the, the art appealing to people in a way that like, you know, they, they, it not, it wasn't IP based. That's another thing is like, you know, you talk that about IP based games. That was huge. Yeah. Like that was huge. I was I, done with IP games. Yeah. If you yeah, look yeah. down that list, we went over, I had previously every game I'd chosen had been based on an IP and it yep. was the IP that drew me to that game. And I suffered some gameplay quality issues on behalf of an IP I was interested in. Sure. And so with this one, I intentionally said, I want to play a game that appeals to me with game mechanics. And let's set aside the IP because I've had that license lost too many times on me. Yeah. And to see your game that's just hitting its stride, have the license pulled away from it just because some big corporation decided to go another way, like enough is enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's just this combination of like, of that, you know, anyone can get into it because it isn't, it's IP agnostic. It's its own thing. You know, anyone, anyone can just hop in. They don't have to feel like they're all, they have to already be a fan of it or whatever. And then they're not worried about the IP being lost. Like you said, um, right. the, the artwork is, is, you know, that Western style that is like surprisingly not used in as many TCGs as most, the majority of TCGs now are anime kind of focused in some way um yep. and and flesh and blood just said no nah, no nah, you know we're gonna do it like we're gonna do it like magic it's but it's just our version of it it's a little more grittier a little you know a little darker in some cases a little more um a little more like high fantasy where magic is going into into more like sci-fi directions and stuff these days in some of their yes. sets and um and there's and, this there's this hinting that there's a deeper story and it's sure. kind of you know we're we're at seven possibly eight sets by now i should have a better count on that i should have prepared that number but (laughs) at this point like you always have this sense as you're going along you're like there's a bigger story here and and we're going to get it revealed and it's almost kind of become like 
well, I don't know. Is there a bigger story? I'm, I'm sure that there is, but are they ever going to tell it to us? I don't really know. Like, and there's a little bit of a charm to that. Like the same way that Star Wars did so well with this lived in universe idea where everything feels like there's a story behind it in history. There's that element to this game as well. You look at the art and you're like, that, that tells me something is happening. I don't know the full details. And you start like, writing it yourself and mm. this is a game that in gen endears you to particular characters you get attached to the heroes that you like and i've got to imagine people across the world have very different ideas of who their heroes are because they are so archetypical and they have details about them they have stories but they also have plenty of space left for you to fill in yourself and I've found, I've talked with people sometimes about a character that I feel very connected to. And I will be like, oh, we read this character very differently. Oh, interesting. So that's kind of interesting. Like, I, I feel like probably there's a lot of people who have headcanons that don't match at all with anybody else's. And you have your own experience of the game and the characters within the game. Yeah, there's there's some just some combination of all those elements I think that Legend Story Studios put together that just intrigues players. It gets players very interested to look into it and I think that, you know, I I don't think we can discount that as being a huge part of this because with with all the other TCGs that are coming out Flesh and Blood has really stood as a a different option compared to many of those and it really feels like um it really feels like if you're trying to look at a new TCG to get into, this is the one where you wouldn't look at it and go, yeah, and it's just kind of like the others, you know, and yeah. I just, I don't see the universe where you can really look at the game and go like, oh, it just, yeah, it's, you know, it's just another, another dime a dozen. Like it's, it just is, I mean, it's unique in too many ways. Yeah. There's a couple of cool things about it. When we've talked before about standing on the shoulders of games that have come before mm -hmm. you, and there are some elements of that that I think are interesting because most people start by looking at magic and comparing yes. other games to magic. And they're like, how much of that system did you pull and how much are you trying to do something else? And this one doesn't start from magic. And I think that's interesting about it. Um, because the, the chief mechanics that you've got going on in this game is a back and forth exchange of attacks and defenses, which is akin to dragon ball Z. Um, you have, card counting as a key component of the game. Um, there are entire decks built around the idea because when you spend the card as a resource, it goes back into your deck at the bottom. Mm. And so as you play the game, if you are the right kind of person for this, and not everybody is, and so not everybody plays that kind of a deck, but you know where the cards are. You know when they're going to come up and you can plan them to come up together. You can curate your end of game hands so that you know that you can end it appropriately. And so, like, that's got shades of, like, like Decipher Star Wars. Yes, that, I was going to bring that up. Exactly. You knew where your good Destiny cards were, and you yep. planned them in there, and you would watch them circulate through your deck, and you're always tracking that. And then it becomes this X factor where your opponent knows your power on the board, but you know your power off the board and how it's going to spring up and do stuff. Um, and so, like, these are kind of the chief elements of what fuels this game. Um, it's about managing how you use your cards and when you use your cards. And it's um, this card cycling, tracking, and do I use a card now or do I store it for later? And if I store it for later, I've got to make sure that when it comes up later, it's effective. And if I use all my good cards early in the game, 
I'm going to be dragging when it comes to the end of the game. I will have nothing but the crap that I threw out earlier in the game. So like you're constantly having to evaluate where is my deck at its strongest? Do I need to come out hitting hard now early or do I need to make sure I've got an end game that when they're exhausted, I can still finish them off. Um, these, these sorts of ways that you can go about approaching a game pattern, the flow of what your strategy is going to look like. It's, it's just, it's not at all what other TCGs are doing. Um, but it has roots in what they're doing. And that's, what's interesting. I think is looking at where they pulled from historically to create this big concept. And I don't know if they had the exposure to those games. I know James White, the game's creator, um, I know he's got a big, heavy magic background. Um, obviously, this game isn't drawing that much from magic. It's drawing from a lot. I don't know if he played those other games. I don't know if he researched those other games in designing this one, but um, those elements are there. And that's, that's, I think, what's interesting. It really is an alternative. And, um, you know, there's so often TCGs end up with rivalries. People saying, I want you to come play my game as opposed to your game. And that becomes a big, important thing when you're talking about magic or a game like magic, mm. um, something that works off the same platform. But we're talking two entirely different types of games. And so what you tend to see is we're not trying to convert you. You know, People are not trying to say, abandon the other game, come play this one. They're saying, this is a great game in and of itself. I don't care what else you're doing or what you've done in the past, but give this one a try because it's fresh. It's unlike what you've done before. That's that's our just general mentality at main deck these days. It's it's just um we we love that's why we cover so much stuff. We just like I, I'm a fan of the TCG hobby. And if yeah. you're a player of Yu-Gi-Oh! flesh and blood. Uh, Battle Spirits next year, you know, My Hero Academia, Digimon, I don't care. I don't care what you play. I, I just love, I can interact with everyone who plays TCGs. And I think that's so right. cool. I think like we can have completely different, um, completely different exposures to different things. Our, our experiences in the hobby can be very different, but also remarkably the same. Um, right. And I think I, 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 if anyone out there is like me and just likes to dabble in TCGs and, and try out things and see, you know, like I think a lot of board gamers get this too. The reason we love just, playing, oh. I see you got your board games there. If you're, if you're a board game, this fan, is the room to interview in, but yeah, I mean, I got, <laughs> I built this on, I did an edition a couple of years ago intentionally. I said, I need a board game room so I can put my shelves out so that they look nice because they deserve better than what they've got right now. So Yep. Yeah. The, yep. the board gamers like to play lots of different board games because a lot of people just like experiencing a new set of mechanics, thinking a different way. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what that's what playing multiple TCGs does for you. It's just kind of expensive is the, <laughs> is the yes. biggest problem with it. Yes, it is. Um, but, you know, all hobbies are expensive. Yes. Um, so, OK, you you brought up uh, you brought up the comparison to magic and um out, you know, and I'm completely with you. Out, outside of like the Western art style, what very, very different games they are. Um, but I think there is an inextricable link in 2022 that also plays into how Flesh and Blood had such a rocket launch of a year this year. Yes. Um, so uh, 
I'm going to go ahead and, and just throw it out there. We just did a two-hour, 45-minute podcast last week that we released on Magic the Gathering. And I am... And there's I, no, I will... <laughs> there's I, no way I can I cover everything I will say, I did, my, I did my best, but I am... You notice on my list of games, Magic was not on the list. Yep. And so I did. I checked out that, that video, and I gave it my noble best, but at a certain point, you're like, I just don't know what the words mean anymore. Yeah, you know? I know, and, and I'm so, so sorry about that. <laughs> oh, no, you don't have to feel bad about that. If you're going to dedicate that kind of time to any game, Magic is the one that deserves it. You know, it has so many players and such a long legacy. Like, yep. there's just a lot to talk about. There really we just, is. We couldn't, we couldn't cut it down any more than we did. But one of the things we covered in that video um, that relates to this is that uh, Magic has had one of the has it's magic has had such an interesting lifespan recently just as it's become a guard like from the biggest card game to just a gargantuan like it's it's kind of too big for its own good i think we talk about that a little bit in there mm -hmm. in that episode also um and one of the things that it has done um is going to go back to something you were saying earlier about how flesh and blood has felt very player focused magic magic has unfortunately um not felt very player focused to a lot of players recently um, in the past year has been has been no exception to that. One of the one of the places where a lot of especially if you're if you're a player of Magic the Gathering, I promise flesh and blood players, this will relate to you in just a second. So just hang on. Bear with me. We're used um, to it. It's OK. <laughs> all right. All right. Great. Um, the 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 uh, thing that if you were a, if you're like a long term Magic player, you played back back, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, you were a you just were a competitive player because there wasn't a really oh that's how it was played that's just how card games are often played you know like most tcgs now like people will play casually that's great like there are always casual players but like the life and blood of tcgs is generally one versus one competitive play magic mm -hmm. has gotten to this point now where it it doesn't care that much, you know, like they haven't had to care about that for their profit margins to be good. And to a lot of companies, that's that like your pulse on the game is like, where are numbers <laughs> in general, you know? Right. Um, and especially when a game gets so big that you can't like effectively listen to that's another thing about a small, a small card game. It's easier to listen to a player base and understand what they're looking for than it is mm -hmm. for a large card game, uh, because the bigger you get, just the more diverse your opinions get about the game. And, and you do one right. thing and, and it's great for some people it pisses off the others and everything. Um, now, one thing they did in the past number of years is Magic Magic started, they had this great like route to becoming a competitive player. You enter a Pro Tour qualifier, you do well, you go to a Pro Tour, you do well, you go to the Worlds, you, you know, it's great. Or you go to a Grand Prix mm -hmm. and you top cut that. Anyone can do those. And then you can kind of shortcut into the into this um, system as well. Um, and then they started to obfuscate that. They they took their their pro tour qualifiers and they said, okay, now we got too many players. So if you want to be in a pro tour qualifier, you have to first win or or do well in a uh in a pre-pro tour qualifier. And then you can enter a regional pro tour qualifier, and then you can qualify to enter the pro tour. And then they got rid of Grand Prix eventually, and then they they started to even like shave off players and that, and this is all happening as like arena, their digital platform is becoming bigger commander, which is the casual game is, is now currently the most popular format in the game is a casual uh, format in magic that was growing in popularity at the time. And it's gotten to the point where, um, until this year, there just like haven't been very clear or good routes for players to just enter and start playing competitively. And right. 
their most popular format for competitive play, which was pre- previously standard, because that's the rotating format where where sets come in and out. A lot of people hate the term rotation. What it did was it made it so the barrier to entry was always low. You just like right. want to get into magic, you'd only you only have to care about the fir- most recent sets. Everything else, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You don't need to buy it. You're fine. Um, and standard is hardly even a format other than on arena anymore. We even locally, we, we, we previously had like 60 player FNMs 10 years ago when I used to play where 60 mm-hmm. players came to play standard magic competitively against each other. And now we literally can't get standard to fire at our local tournaments and we have more players than ever. <laughs> um, right. So, okay. Relating to flesh and blood now, magic has dropped the ball in competitive play. Flesh and Blood releases. It's a different game system. But if you are, if you're someone from the outside just looking looking at the two games, you go, "Oh, this." I mean, you, I'm sure you hear this, Alex, all the time. This game looks kind of like Magic. Does it play like it? You know, I'm sure people like will right. like see that stuff because right. like it it just looks from the style of the game like it. You suddenly right. just have this game that appeals to what a lot of people initially got into magic for because you look at cards 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 are nothing but art until you learn the rules of the game so a lot of people oh, get into card but what beautiful art it is absolutely and, absolutely yeah and players get look at the cards and go oh this looks interesting i want to play this so imagine now you take a room full of these these sort of jaded magic players who just got into the game initially because they like the art didn't mean they didn't get into the game because they're like I want a game with a land system that you know, like you play creatures right. or something like right. no one the said mechanics, that. <laughs> the mechanics are seldom the gateway. Right. And you take away their competitive play. Now you take away their room full of players competitive play. And then suddenly this other game crops up that has art just as literally some of the, like just as good or better. I'm going to say than magic, the gathering, because some of the same artists are working on both games. We're cribbing some of the same artists. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you tell players, oh, by the way, we're really competitive. Um, and we, and, and this is, this is the game. If you're a competitive player and not like say the only way to play it, but like, you know, this isn't like the retro DBZ community <laughs> to reference right. that earlier, but like, but, but like, honestly, like it's a casual competitiveness, like you friendly, but yeah. very much so it's hard to play the game and not be competitive. And I think how that- else are you going to build your deck? The rule set for the game, a lot of like every game has its own level of like whether or not you can be like that casual, like commander style gameplay. It it either works or it doesn't, depending on how right. your game is built. Flesh and Blood is a game where where I'm sure people will come up with and have come up with interesting, you know, ways to play the game slightly differently, where it like brings out a little bit more of a casual feel or whatever. But like the the rule set for the game, in my experience playing it, like this was a game where I'm trying to kill you or you're going to kill yeah. me first. Like there's there isn't exactly. really, you know, that sort of middle ground where or where we can like build up to doing crazy stuff. And that's how we have fun in the game. It's just you're trying you're trying to kill your opponents. It's a pretty competitive yep. game. Yeah. Um, and I think I think just this like this fact that it's sort of like flesh and blood was there, especially this year with them with them bringing out the pro tour and and having a, a world a world championship and like a, a clear route to doing in their calling events and everything. And in fact, um, let's talk about how I, I believe Star City Games was also was hosting yes. both was magic yes. and flesh and blood at the same actually, time. Like actually, yes, this is coming up in February again. Star City Games is They've got an event going on in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. um, which is close enough that I might go. Still you working should. on it. I don't know. I should. Um, and it is one weekend in this massive convention center, which you know, because Gen Con, it's yes. the same building. 
They're holding it at the Gen Con building. And it's flesh and blood, and it's magic, and it's major tournaments for both of them. Yep. And I just, I am so curious to see how much bleed over is going to happen at this place. Like, I think you're going to see more than where you are the spectators going to end up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's the thing. So like it's, it's the games are similar enough to the point where star city feels like they can host both of them because like host both of them at the same time. And they're yeah. different enough where they also think like, you know, like it, it's, so it's, it's an interesting sort of blend of the two. And I think what we've really seen this year that it's something that I'm not going to say it's like the number one reason or anything, but it's a reason that there's, you just can't discount this, that magic has, has languished in the eyes of certain players where flesh mm -hmm. and blood has shown them sort of exactly what they were looking for. And then they've had ample opportunities provided by some of the biggest card retailers and tournament organizers in the biz to get those magic players who are jaded to a game where they're not so jaded anymore and they're kind of pumped and excited right. and, and they can try it out and they can enjoy themselves again. Um, and it, yep. it just goes back almost to the like, well, you know, like whatever TCG you play, that's great. Like, yeah, I think that's awesome. I don't, I don't think it's a rivalry thing. I think, uh, I mean, as much as I want magic to bring back like serious competitive play, because I, as I said, in that podcast, there's no reason why magic, the biggest game in the world shouldn't have the biggest competitive circuit in the world. But the fact is, they don't. And you know who currently does right now? It's flesh and blood. Right. And I would love, I would love for this story to end in a place where the magic community can feel proud that the creator of flesh and blood got his TCG experience playing magic and he played it competitively and he played it well. And all this time he said, how am I going to make my own mark on this wonderful world of trading card games? And then he went out and he did it. And I yeah. want to one day have these two standing as great examples of the Western TCG tradition and how one created another. And then they were both fantastic. That would be ideal. I think that's, you, you know, you bring up something that a lot of people just don't think about when they're when they're looking at tcgs because again this whole this whole rivalry thing it's like so it's like the console wars from back in the it day is. it's like it's like a completely unnecessary rivalry but the fact is that like people who are designing tcgs are not designing them i mean there's a few people who are like all oh, these tcgs suck i'm gonna make my own ones but like a lot of these right. people are literally just like man i've spent my whole life loving tcgs i just want to i just want to create also some of us just have an urge to to create in that right. way and like and so it's not like uh, it's not like the creators of like basically any TCG. A lot, by the way, a lot of them are created by magic, <laughs> uh, magic people, magic pros. How magic can you people. avoid it? Yep. <laughs> um, Everybody's yeah, played and, it. Uh, but it's not like they all set out. They're like, all right, finally, I can take down magic, the game that gave so much to me. I'm going to crush them into the dust. You know, like, yeah. no, one's, no one's saying that. Everyone's just like, here's just a new way to experience this hobby we all enjoy. Mm -hmm. And that's all they want. They want you to right. enjoy it, too. Right. So, and because there are so many ways that people enjoy the hobby, sometimes a game especially favors one type of player. And then you create another game and it slightly favors another kind of player. Mm -hmm. And you can find your home in these sorts of things. Eventually you just, you know, go here and there until you find a place that you fit just right, where the strategy at the very top doesn't get under your skin. The way that sometimes you see players acting so miserably unhappy with the meta at all times. I'm like, what exactly are you hoping that it looks like? 
Like what, mm. what are you visualizing? I mean, there's always this utopian idea of the perfect meta, but as far as I see, most people are unhappy chronically with the meta. They don't just say, I don't like it right now, but then something comes along and then they do like it. Most people are just like, there's always a top deck and it always trumps on everything else. I always hate to play it. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe the core strategies of this particular game aren't perfectly aligned with your values, but maybe another one is. Yes. A hundred percent. I can't, I can't echo that enough. It's like just... If, if you're not having fun with your game and if you haven't been having like some sometimes you get a meta where it's like they really just need to fix this card and then I'll be happy yeah. again. like, you know, yeah. but if you haven't Honestly, been having those, fun for a while. Right. You don't tend to get game. too deep into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, OK, so yeah, I, I just really wanted to bring up that like that that link because like Flesh and Blood's competitive play in 2022, they I I we need more games to be looking at what Flesh and Blood is doing and and straight imitating it honestly it's like if they want right. to be competitive like and and i think that's so cool like just just absolutely props to how legend story studios has been handling the game competitively because like i was even i was just before this i was digging through the articles um because i wanted to just make sure i like knew all the articles you'd read make sure i didn't miss one i saw you actually sure. just, you posted one just recently also too another one the, i on did the, yes the tcg site there the official fab tcg site um but the amount of just like coverage and content above every single circuit they're running. Um, I mean, you, there's, there's some, there's almost every day. I think there's, there's, uh, just are, there's time, at least a number of articles every week that are being posted, um, on the official mm -hmm. site. And then you've got your sites, which by the way, I'm going to link below Wraith times is going to be linked down below too, for, um, everyone to go check out too. Uh, but you have then the outside community writing articles and everything. And, and we've got fabulous YouTubers um, uh, doing videos. I know, I know like Red Zone Rogue is one who ch chimes in on some of our right. videos and stuff. I, I love the Rogue. He's so great. Um, everything he 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 puts out the content that I get to watch um, where <laughs> where I get to I get to like. I, I feel like the level he posts, he, he posts content is one that I can like kind of understand and get into. I don't have to be like a, like, I don't have to really understand the math of the game or whatever to get into it. So I, sure. I just shout yeah. out because I really like when we have content creators who can do it at that, that kind of level as well. So I can try and keep up a little bit too. Um, but right. it's like from everything the company is doing to everything, the community is sort of rallying around there. We it's, it's flesh and blood is this game where, if your game that you're doing that you're playing isn't doing it like this, I honestly think that there are it's sort of a missed opportunity for the game to to have this sort of setup where they're sort of setting the tone, you know, for like how the community can go ahead and interact with them by being so present, uh, communicating, posting, you know, like the the like you said, within 48 hours, all the all the results you need from the tournament, um, even if when it's across the world and everything. Um, and, and then I hosting mean, these tournaments people can get into. Right. And they're, they're very involved in the hosting of these events too. Like James White has been in person at so many of these tournaments. Like he's met so much of the player base and, um, you know, you just feel cause you hear him speak at some of these things and you can feel the pride. You can feel the, like, thank you all for making this, my dream actually become a thing like and isn't it nice to be part of a community that feels that way where there's this give and take on both directions where the business is not just like 
thank you for, you know, giving us money. But they're actually like, <laughs> we're creative people and we worked really hard on this and we love that you love it and we want you to keep loving it. Like that exchange back and forth, like I love the thing that you are giving me and I love that you are enjoying it. Like it, it's it clearly feels, a passion project. Like it's, it's, and it's, it, it's it feels clear. stupid wholesome, but it's, it's really nice in a, I, in a hobby in something that's supposed to be enjoyable in your recreation time. Like that's lovely to have a take on that tone. I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It's obvious that the team cares so much about the game that they're making, you know, it, that it's, it is, it is, that's another thing that I'm sure has felt refreshing for some of the, the magic players who have sort of hopped on the raft and, and checked out the, the fab world instead. Mm -hmm. Or even the, after all of the licensed games as well. Yes. It's such a difference to have someone be like, this is the world that I created. And I made a game around it, you know, and that's as opposed to someone being like, this is Star Wars content. We know you'll love it, you know, which yeah. is just like, um, you know, sometimes they get a great pairing and the guy who created mechanics was just waiting for a Star Wars theme and then the theme dropped on top of it and it's perfect. But that doesn't always work that way, you know, I mean, I go back to like the, the versus card game which clearly was just let's drop the nice superhero license on the top of it. Yeah. And 100%. like, 100%. exactly. And like, <laughs> I have nothing against that, but there's no passion behind there. You know, somebody created a game system and then an IP came along that was available and they just tossed it on there. And like, it could be any other IP and it wouldn't really make much difference. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and you know that like you you see that it, like Metacross was was a game that was designed in a similar way. Like we we're talking about earlier, it was like the idea was that anything could really inhabit this IP. It's just going to take some like here's some ideas that the things that Overpower did right, and here's some things, some ways to just kind of like generically allow you to sort of represent anything, right? And, uh, uh, any sort of IP worth people kind of vaguely fight against each other in, in any way. If there's yep. any conflict whatsoever, it can probably be a set in that game, you know? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that had promise, and then it wasn't delivered on, but it was exciting. Like, yeah. I liked that notion. Um, yeah. But there's something to be said about it, about a game where the, the designer just set out with a clear a mechanical game plan and a flavor game plan from the very start, and and he puts it together and they test the hell out of it and they and then they get um and they wait and i think the big thing too is here like like they they i remember actually that they started out just shipping a very small amount of product to select stores I, one of our local stores had a request from them it's like hey do you they asked do you want to have some of our product and check it out for as like a an early you know pre-launch kind of deal like a soft launch thing or something and right. um i this was so this was before anyone even knew about the game and I wasn't, unfortunately, I wasn't working at the store anymore. Otherwise, I might have said, you should do that. And I just remember talking to the owner about it. He said, you know, uh, it's uh, it's like another TCG and like, I don't know, you know, like it's how many of those do you got to go through? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they I think they never ended up getting it in and um, <laughs> would have been worth a good amount at the <laughs> in that whole like period you're talking yep. about where where all yep. the like fabled cards were very 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 valuable oh, that was everything. so it was a wild ride for a little while <laughs> i had cards that i had been playing with that suddenly i was like are these sleeves good enough for this card like yeah 
<laughs> to this day, to this day, I have some very high end cards that I just lucked into because at the time it didn't cost much to buy stuff. And I always say to myself, I could not trust my judgment on the quality to like deal with these online. Like if they ever leave my person, it's gotta be in person because I need the person to look at it and look yeah. it over and be like, no, the card's good. Cause I got so much insecurity. I'm like, I know I didn't pull it straight out and like triple sleeve it from the pack. Like it had some time between the two. Yep. But you yeah, didn't know I, I know how time. you feel. hundred percent. Yep. Um, yeah, man. I like, I don't have, I guess I don't have enough good things to say about how flesh and blood is doing to the point where on our, on our tier list video recently, I, I popped it on S tier, even though like I've talked about this a little bit, I've, after playing the game, I, it didn't jive with me personally, you know, and right. like, don't, don't, don't at me in the comments. It's just like, I, I play so many games and this one, I just, there were a couple things where I just didn't personally love it. But I, right. like, like I said before, I saw, I totally saw like why people enjoy this. I get it. I like, I get why mm -hmm. the game is great. And I placed it as, as an S tier game. I, 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 in the same tier as magic, but for very different reasons, <laughs> basically. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think the potential for flesh and blood that we've seen grow in 2022, I, I mean, I don't see it. I don't see it falling far from here anytime soon. I think it's just, I think it's just on the surge. Don't you? Right. I do. I really feel that if it was going to fail, it had ample opportunity along the way. Yes, it sure did. Um, it certainly had all the adversity thrown at it right from the start. And so for it to have weathered all of that, including including, and we didn't cover this one, but there was a real movement for a little while against the game purely out of speculative spite. There were a lot of people who were just trashing on the game because they thought that it thought it was big stuff or something along those lines. I can't really speak to the mindset of what was going on, but the internet was full of concern that the game was too big for its bridges mm. and had no business being, you know, discussed in serious circles. What, what time? I've seen a number of little like drama flare ups creep up here and there. What time period was this one? Is this like an early one or is this something that happened this year? So there was the game being a complete underdog that really, you know, yep. um, and, and it had to find its feet. Then there was the meteoric rise where everything became worth tons of money because product couldn't keep up with it. And at that time, the big slam on the game was it's a pyramid scheme. The people who are in are just trying to get more people in so that they can sell them the cards because sure. they're also valuable. Like this is an investor's scheme, you know, gotcha. and we, it was on the other side of that one because once prices started coming down and production started being on balance, that was really when it started. I don't know if it started looking threatening to some people and they felt they needed to go after it. Mm. Um, or if it was just um, because there was a little bit of a letdown, you know, you're riding on a high when all of a sudden all your stuff is worth so much. Um, and then you start seeing the prices settle back down to what is a, a safe and comfortable level, you know, oh. and nobody likes to and so I think there were some burned people who thought they got in on something that was worth a ton of money. And then all of a sudden it leveled out a little bit. And, you okay, know, can I, can I try and pin this? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Think, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think back to the, the news stories I've seen or whatever. Is this around 
the sort of the the maybe the monarch channel fireball thing monarch was a hard hit yes that was that was really unfortunate it was honestly from a game standpoint it was a solid entry it did great things for the game so it's unfortunate that it really did get burdened with the crash of the market and yeah when i say the crash what i basically mean is the realigning with what's realistic and what a game should be fetching but for all of us who had been riding this investor high um you know and we would i didn't get in the game to be an investor but all of a sudden i found myself sitting on valuable stuff and like you're kind of stuck in that spot you're like well i guess i'm an investor now i guess i've got some holdings you know and then you watch it all like kind of like like there are plenty of things that held value but there's a lot that didn't and then new stuff would come out and you're like well i'm gonna make sure that i buy a whole bunch of it keep it on a shelf and then that all comes down you're like well i guess i just missed the whole wave and so like there was definitely some people who were burnt by reading the room incorrectly. This is just, it sounds to me like it was a very traditional, just bubble bursting situation. Some people are left holding bags. That's how, that's, that's how it works. Unfortunately, when you have like a meteoric rise in price, like that happened, like it's not sustainable. And especially if you're a company trying to sustain a game for people to play, which just, you know, exactly like you're saying, some people, I can see people looking at that and going, well, is this, is this a pyramid scheme? Like, like what's going on here? And, and, um, honestly, it sounds like it was the right call for the, for the uh, company to just say, no, this is a game. Here's the next set. Here's the next set. Like, like the bubble's going to burst. Sorry. We didn't set the prices for, (laughs) for your cards. (laughs) Right. They were like, we didn't do this in the first place. We never set out to do this. It just happened. Yeah. And they're like, don't expect us to support this. We didn't come into this to print money for you. So yeah, you know, that was another one of the times when the game could have absolutely crashed because the amount of people who were burned in 2021 by reading it wrong, like that hurts. That really yeah. does. And so yeah, you have yeah. people who, who came to the game as a speculation. And so now they're attached enough to have a voice in the community, but they're burnt out because they weren't there for the gameplay and the gameplay is all that's left. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that changes the tone in the room. It really does. And you got to wait until enough people exit if you really are done. You got to wait for him to leave the room and then you can kind of get your culture back. And so 2022 has been great because we didn't have any of those crazy things. Yeah. You know, there was, there was no pandemic keeping us from playing in person. There was no rise and fall of the stock market around the game. Um, It's just been honest gameplay driving the game forward and people enjoying the game or they're not there for the one of the biggest things that the company did that that caught my attention right when it happened was um, Legend Story Studios announced Flesh and Blood 2.0 around the uh, early early to middle of the year. And it was so bold for them to use that label. It like, was. That's so what caught my attention. I was, I was like, like Wait, really? What? Really? 2.0? You chose that. You could have gone with anything. But I think they just wanted to come out and be like, look, you're all going to call it that anyway. So let's just straight up and then read it and assess for yourself how you feel. You want to you want to talk about like a clever play though. If like this was intentional, I mean, like that got everybody reading. If you're not a flesh and blood oh, player, absolutely. you're like, well, hang on, like it's like you you it's sort of like is this, like, am I going to watch a train wreck? 2.0? Yeah, like am I watching a train wreck right now or or what? And actually, it turns out you were watching just a very smart decision for them to sort of 
rally around their players again and and uh, readdress it. Like like a, so I I guess I should say an unfortunately rare moment of self reflection um, in the Ooh. TCG industry of for a company to just sit down and go okay now we've had a couple of years they were kind of weird years where are we where are we at right now with the game? Where are we trying to get to? And what sort of core changes do we need to make to our structure of things to get the game there? Um, Ooh, if I can take just a moment here, there's an excellent anecdote that has to do with this, this rare please. moment of self-reflection. There was a card that released in one of their sets um, that prior to the set releasing, they realized was going to be very bad for the game. And so they nice. preemptively banned the card before it had even released. And they came out and they wrote an article and they led with the words, we made a mistake. And I thought that took such humility to come out and do that. And it's one of their most quoted things. It's actually kind of, it's taken on this meme element to it. Like people get <laughs> sure. play mats printed with a screenshot of just that sentence, you know? And like, they're kind of ribbing it. At the same time, it's like, what does it take for a company to say, screw how this is going to impact the game's launch? You know, I don't care if the set releases and people are already mad that this card is not able to be used. Um, you know, they, they just said, nobody's going to enjoy it if we let this happen. So we're just going to cut it off and we're going to own up that we messed up. And I thought that was like, you don't see that. You don't see that yeah. from companies. You don't see that in gaming. You see excuses or you see sticking your head in the sand and let's wait until the players have tried it out like oh you think it's broken you're looking at it you think it's going to be broken but play with it a little while and if it becomes a problem we'll do something about it but like half of those they've got to know are a problem by the time that the player base starts talking about it and like just own up it the incredible thing about this move is that from from the perspective of the company attempting to sell booster boxes, you you are literally shooting yourself in the foot when you say, right. okay, our set's coming out. Very powerful card. You know that you, the player, they know that the players are going to know that that card is going to be worth something because everybody's right. going to want copies of this thing. Everybody's going to want to be playing this thing. It is literally, you know, what we call a a card that will sell the set it is it is the banner card is the set that is the card that you are going to be opening packs to try and get you're going to be opening stores going to be opening packs to try and sell the copies of the card players going to be opening the packs to try and open copies of the card and they just uh, to have a company just go out in front of this happening before it gets there and just say we don't want you to buy packs to open this card we're just gonna ban it because because right the health of the game is more important to us than the sales that that accrues um from doing that is is like that's the you know that's obviously the subtext that they're not necessarily saying there right but like, that's that is the truth of it is that they are they're intentionally making the decision to take less money and in in favor of supporting the player's enjoying the game for a period of time and a lot of like you said a lot of a lot of companies will just go well let's let them play with it for a little bit and then we'll ban it if it's still a problem or whatever um right and i mean you know i i'm not gonna like 
throw any companies under the bus or anything about this because like i i think what like you said that's a difficult decision to have to make because at the end of the day you know these every gaming company is still a business they need to profit if they're not profiting you're not going to be seeing more of your game in the future you know and so like i get when companies just go just let it go for a little bit and then we'll ban it but like it really does deserve praise when a company decides to take a hit to their profits um, to preemptively just handle the problem for the players so that they can have a more enjoyable metagame for a longer period of time. Yeah, exactly. So that, I mean, that's, yeah, that that is certainly an impressive move on their part. Um, so the Flesh and Blood 2.0 thing, while, while we're on the subject of that, Alex, how do you feel, how do you feel that all went for the game? So... I think that it's worth mentioning what the big elements of Flesh and Blood 2.0 were. I was secretly and, hoping you would go over that. Yep. <laughs> yes. And while 2.0 has hysterically been used in gaming terms to talk about, we're going to clean up all the messes we made along the way and we're going to relaunch this game, but softly, and maybe the old stuff's compatible and maybe it isn't. You know, they, they, Sometimes they're a little light on the details of that. So that's where I say this was a very loaded term for them to use because what they essentially ended up coming out with is saying there are elements about how the tournaments are being done and how set releases are being done, things outside of the actual gaming experience that we do not feel are positive for games. And we want to correct those things. And so the biggest thing that came out of it, I think the one that had the most impact on most people, um, was they revisited how they were going to be um, launching their cards. They had for a long time had um, a first edition printing come out. And then later on, they had an unlimited edition come out. And, um, you know, when you're creating something for the first time, like first edition is a very normal thing. You know, you put it out there and it's supposed to maybe be a little prestige item for people who were early to the scene. Um, but in this case, it had become the speculative product and people were supposed to rush in and grab this, you know, and it was always the first one that came out. So you got your hands on it first, but then it was also the one that was like, appreciate. So they were like, people were buying it up, but they weren't opening it. And it just made for a very lackluster mm-hmm. debut of a new set. While a lot of players who were thinking about their finances would understandably say, I'm just going to wait for the unlimited version to come out. And then you'd come out with these tournament experiences where some people had the new cards because they had disposable income and others were waiting around and just, you know, using old stuff, which isn't to say that old stuff isn't viable. The game's very delineated um, in ways that you can use decks that aren't at all impacted by a new release. Um, and you're not actually taking a cut at all. But regardless, some people had more options than others did. And that's normal in a TCG environment to a certain degree, but it certainly shouldn't be an entire new expansion. It's only available to people who were on the ball and on their game. Um, And so, like, gameplay-wise, they weren't really addressing any mechanics. But what they were doing is they were trying to improve what your games felt like and what your experience was like playing the game. And so they really were impacting the games that were being played um, in an unexpected way of getting there. Um, And so what we've seen here is the meteoric rise in value of some cards and these these tall 
tall mountain spikes in the value of things, they're not there anymore. Um, in fact, to a degree that some people um, wish there was maybe a little bit more. Um, they would like to see more value held on some cards, but ultimately it's better for the player base that it isn't. And um, the other thing is, is that now shops are not left sipping on stuff that is undesirable, a lesser product. Um, yes. And so I, I, altogether, I think that it was a great thing for the community. I think that it was a hard pill to swallow for some of the people who, we've already talked about the investors getting hit hard. Um, but there are legitimately people who enjoy games on both fronts. Yes. And it's a hard definitely. thing to have a hit. And it's a hard thing to have a hit on that front. Um, because there's going to be a core of people who are like, well, now I'm not as excited about that element of it. Um, but I think that it's only been good for the growth of the game. As far as people being willing to give it a shot, they're not being scared off by these completely out of control opening day prices any longer. Um, and it really feels like when a set comes out, everybody gets to enjoy it again. Yeah. I, I and I it's it is a tough it's a tough decision to make. Um, and every company has seemingly been going about it a little differently. Whether they do first edition and limited edition, how they differentiate the two, what what kind of bonuses they try and include to like prevent the unlimited from feeling like an inferior version, while still it's really a lot of a lot of game companies are really just trying to sort of have their cake and eat it too with this, right? Um, and the the straightforward answer is to do what Flesh and Blood is doing, but I also you know I I can see the the potential because if you can if you can find the way if you're a gaming company you can find the way to capture the the sort of the FOMO the excitement experience of the of first edition um and then still make an unlimited edition that actually moves off the shelves doesn't languish and and gets people excited like, right that's sort of like the the you know the that's the holy grail that you're really seeking after <laughs> as a as a TCG publisher so I get I, I it's great that people keep trying and and making their own versions of it but um, I think it was, I think it was, uh, again, an, an impressive piece of like self-reflection from flesh and blood standpoint to go, you know what, if we just do this, all the problems are gone. <laughs> we'll just say yep. it'll, it'll suck a little bit right away, but yeah. it'll, you know, this will handle any of those issues and make things a, it's a simple answer to uh, right. a problem that doesn't necessarily need to exist for us. Exactly. Um, they also announced around that time the history pack. So they, this, I found this part hilarious. Let me let me just give you my standpoint on this. Yeah, I'd I love to hear was, it. I thought it was just. Um, I, first of all, I think the history pack's a great idea. That's awesome. Whatever. But I I thought it was so funny that in the same breath they were saying, "All right, we're doing away with first edition and limited edition." Now we're just introducing the good old white borders and black borders, baby. <laughs> like, I was like, and what year is it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's been said, and I don't know how reputable it is, but it's been said that white border was chosen intentionally because it's ugly. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, and I hope that's true. I think that's the idea, right? Is there, again, they're, they're trying to introduce this, like you, you need your collectible game. If it's a collectible game, to have some element that draws people into collecting it. If you're going to sit there. So the one thing they're trying to avoid, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to toss Yu-Gi-Oh under the bus here. They're like the, the Yu-Gi-Oh issue. Um, it, one, one of the issues of, uh, of that game. And I don't think it's like a huge issue, but it is just one of them is that a card will come out. It'll be a chase card to get in a set. And then a few months later, 
it's going to be reprinted at common in the latest like structure deck or whatever. Um, so our, our 2022 look back on Yu-Gi-Oh is coming very soon. Um, I'm excited to talk with that about a very enfranchised Yu-Gi-Oh player, a local and a, and a good friend of mine. So we'll have a little back banter about that. But the, the, the issue when you si announce that you're going to start reprinting cards, um, because again, players are scared of rotations and stuff and that's fine. Um, right. But when you start reprinting cards, the issue is that people go, okay, well, if it's going to be like Yu-Gi-Oh, I'm not even going to bother to pick up the latest card. Like you said, I'll just, I'll play with an old deck or whatever. Then when they reprint the cheap version of it, you know, I'll get that. Then, then right. I, I, I don't have to spend 50 bucks on this card. I can spend a buck later on and I can get it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so there is a, there is a problem there that has to be solved, which is like, how do we make sure that players still are okay getting the card on release rather than just waiting for the cheap reprint? And there is something to be said about the solution being, well, when we reprint it, it's not going to look very good. So you're going to want to get the one that looks nice instead. <laughs> it's not a bad solution. It really isn't. Yep. If you would just want to play with the card, just, yeah, yeah, you can just get it. It doesn't cost as much. There's no foils in the history packs. There's nothing to chase after, mm -hmm. right? So it's like just, mm -hmm. uh, it's just there to, it's just there to let you play with the card. And, and, um, and, also, just the like the his the the old TCG player, the TCG historian in me just loves this like like the one thing that Magic made sure to get rid of eventually because they just the general player feedback was man these white borders suck. Then mm -hmm. then they were like you know what it's time for white borders to come back twenty twenty two let's do it. Well, and I think that it was rather astute of them to look at it and say we just need more copies of cards circulating. Yeah, the player base has grown; they just aren't there. So like. How do you do that in a way that doesn't devalue what exists? Mm -hmm. You make an entirely new version of it and you circulate those. I think that makes sense. And I think that it was a responsible reflection on the reality of their massive growth. It's honestly like, like it, it also gets to the point where like sometimes players will have opinions. I'm sorry. That's a dumb statement. Players will always have opinions. <laughs> sometimes they do. Um, players will always have opinions on every aspect of your game from how it plays to how it looks to how it's distributed to who your content creators are to, you know, whatever, like they're going to have opinions on that. And, and I really, I really respect the going in and being like, okay, we're going to answer these problems. You're going to not, you're going to have opinions about our answer to this, about one aspect of our answer to this. And we actually actively want you to dislike that aspect. It's part of our game plan that you dislike right. that these have white borders. Literally right. is like part of the plan that you do that. It's an upgrade path. You start with those and then eventually you get sick of them and they go to the next newbie while you pursue the better looking ones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there's just, I, I, I appreciate the, I guess I appreciate the earnesty of that whole thing. Um, they knew exactly what they were doing with that. And, and I think that's just, I think it's hilarious. And also, as you said, I mean, I think it is a good solution to the problem. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, that I thought I, I just couldn't get over though. The, like the first edition unlimited are gone, but white borders back. It's, um, but I, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Alex, we have been. I think we've been extremely, extremely positive, and I think there's good reason for that. So I'm going to pressure you just slightly, okay? And I know, knowing your position and everything, too, I'm not saying you need to give me, you need to blast anything at all, because I don't think there is a lot to blast here in Flesh and Blood. But I want you to try and tell me what you think are any hurdles, 
slight hurdles in the game, maybe bumps in the road right now that you're seeing that we're hoping that Legend Story Studios takes another look at at some point. Can, is there anything like that in Flesh and sure. Blood right now? Yeah. So um, the way that the game is built is that you have a hero and they belong to a class and the class makes up your card pool that you choose from. Um, and so there's very, I mean, the streams are pretty separate. And so like out of my collection, um, you know, let's say I've got six shoe boxes sitting on the shelf right here. And out of that collection, every time I go to build a deck, I'm looking at one shoe box at the most. Okay. There's no crossover yeah. between those other elements. Um, it's a very hard archetypal and, game. That's that's what I like to yes. I like to describe it. It's it's a lot again a lot like Yu-Gi-Oh. It's like a new set comes out. It's got five new decks for you. You want to mm -hmm. combine them? You have a bad deck. Just you can just pick one of the five right. rights. That's your deck. <laughs> right, and I think that's great for game balance, but it's really hard for set pieces because it's also a game where you get bought into a character and sometimes a class, but more specifically a character. So, like, even if the set gives you a brand new, let's say, ninja character, okay? This year we had Uprising come out, and it was a story of this volcanic region, and they have this monarchy that's been in power for a long time, um, but the people are currently uprising, as the name would state. And we have this story of these siblings, and one is on one side of the argument and one is on the other. So we get this new ninja, okay? And they also are introducing us to the fact that some characters have a affinity towards fire. They call it draconic talent. Um, but basically, he's a fire ninja, okay? So 95% of the cards for this ninja have nothing to do with our previous ninja characters. They can't play the cards because they're not draconic. Mm. And so you end up with this, oh, I'm excited they're going to revisit ninja. But if the reason you love Ninja was because of the character, that character didn't get moved forward at all. In fact, now they're vying with the new hotness. The new Ninja is showing them up, you know, because they're exciting and they've got all the new tools. And so there's this element of, like, it's a mixed bag when somebody gets a refeature. Um and sometimes a character is going to feel like they got totally eclipsed by a movie. So they need to be really careful on that. Um, because there are definitely times in which there will be two heroes that can exist within a class. They're pulling from the same class pool. And one of them is just purely better than the other. Um, now, they do a good job on that. They do introduce elements that support things. And, and the answer is that long term, they introduce more things that specifically only help a person and I I like it less when they do it by naming a person. This is a thing that's common in games. It's like if you're using this, then this card does this. I don't care for that as much as when you do it sneaky by mechanics. You're like, here's a card that aligns with that person. But we're not gonna say the other one can't use it, but really you're gonna get the most out of it if you use it with that. And so basically what I'm getting at is every set release has a little bit of a but what about my old guy? Um, and you want to be able to bring them along for the ride. And sometimes they're just going to be ignored and sometimes they're going to be eclipsed. Um, what they attempt to do to remedy that is between their core expansions, um, the sets that come out and they're made for drafting and they introduce new decks. 
they release ones that are just meant to add new cards to the card pool. And those tend to support the people we haven't heard from. They give a little bit to everybody and everybody's deck gets a little boost. Um, so there are some elements to which they do it and how successfully they are or not is a question for sure. Um, additionally, they've had a couple of missteps come out with characters who have just felt very, people will say that they feel stronger than the other heroes. I think what they really are is easier to play mm. and reliably get the results you want out of because tournament fatigue is a very real thing. Yes. And it doesn't matter if your deck can win any single game. If you have to be completely in the zone to get that win, you can't make it through a full weekend of tournament play. You're going to burn out and the other guys sitting there playing on easy mode, you know? And so your, your decks may be equal to each other in an isolated incident, but over 10 games, one of them is going to ask a lot less from you than the other is. And this Classic leads to certain conundrum, right. man. In so many, right. in so many games, not outside of even TCGs, you know, and like in in video games that are trying to achieve any sort of like balance, like an MMORPG trying to do like PvP class balance. They always they have characters. They're they're classes that are designed to be played. Like you're playing the piano, you're going crazy, um, and they have classes, but they can't just have that. Otherwise, they don't get players. So they also have classes where it's like I press the button and I do the damage, you know, and like right, exactly. Like they but they can't make the piano one eclipse the the press the single button one because like too much because then the people who are just pressing the single button get kicked out of every group they try to join because they're not playing the piano because they're not good enough right you know exactly and so there's always this tough balance of how do you um give enough for the cerebral people to do while also letting the people who are just trying to unwind and have a little bit of fun do that mm -hmm. um so i think that that leads to i i think most people would say that in a day-to-day, game-to-game environment, things are pretty well balanced. Um, and the tournaments have certainly shown some very diverse metagames, especially when you compare them to what other TCGs tend to get, where you end up with like, you know, a holy trinity of decks that's really raining. And we've, we've gone through phases where that has happened. Um, but this year has been one for a lot of ironing out the kinks, and our recent tournaments have really shown like most characters get played at major events and that's cool um but you still find ones that bubble to the top and they tend to have in common that they're relatively straightforward to play and that's that's tough because you don't feel rewarded for putting in the work in the same way and and, and also so, can i can i just say related to that um i love the system that they used for that they use for giving characters living legend status which is as they as they achieve enough tournament results it sort of aggregates the total value and when it exceeds a certain amount then they they get banned effectively um the, right it's the only form of rotation the game has at this point which I think it's I think it's very creative. I love how engaged it makes the community with that with that character with and with the results of every single event and everything. I think that's such a clever thing. However, I do see what you're saying sort of feeding into the, that problem in a, in a maybe an unexpected way. Whereas if the characters who are just easier to perform with continue to perform well and then eventually get living legend out, you you start to funnel players into harder to play characters um you literally tell them well you can't play those ones anymore you have to try to learn how to play a harder to play character or something 
And, right. and I can or, see that rubbing rubbing players the wrong way. Right. Especially if you're a young player. Yes. You just got into the game. You wanted to start with someone simple. And then in a major tournament somewhere in the world that you weren't paying any attention to, the threshold was crossed. Yeah. And the next time you come into the shop, your locals are like, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but we got to find you a new deck. You can't play you know, Bravo like, anymore, Timmy. Sorry. Like that hurt. Bravo, Bravo is still holding strong, but, but there was a <laughs> version of Bravo was the epitome of this because he released and it was about a month before he hit living legend. So that was special. That was, that was a rare misfire in game balance. And he really did go that fast. Hmm. So, yeah. So, um, for most people, they spend about a year in the game. Um, if you are a strong, highly competitive, easy to play deck, you're probably going to last about nine months to a year before you've hit living legend. And then it's time to move on to something else. And in that time, you know, enough expansions have come out and something new has probably caught your eye and you probably have a backup deck going before that happens. Um, and in the meantime, you know, some of us love those underdog decks. We can't help it. And I'm going to be playing the same jank the entire career of the game because my favorite <laughs> character is never going to get taken out. So, which wait, I was looking at the results earlier. So I have a guess, but which one is your character that you that you? Azalea feel is my character. That's the one. Yes. That, I was looking at that. I'm when I was looking at the results, the I'm like, man, this this character is not doing anything. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, Azalea is the thinking. And not only that, but like the result that you get, if you successfully pilot the deck well, if you build the deck well, if you play the deck perfectly, if, you know, your strategy is on and you make all the right calls, the result you can expect is to win a close game. And like, <laughs> I love that's, it. that's not really the optimal that most people desire, but like, I don't think I, I, I took that deck to Gen Con actually this past year. I played in a flesh and blood tournament and it was small. It was like 32 players. It was at Gen Con. Um, and I won the tournament piloting Azalea. Wow. But, I didn't know that. Congratulations. That's sick. Why? Thank you. But I didn't win a single one of those games with more than one life remaining. <laughs> Because that's how the deck works. You are constantly running that razor's edge, and not everybody wants to sign up for that. So yeah. um, that's that's why she doesn't get the results. Because even if you are a fantastic player, you just have no margin for error at all. And are you really going to ride an entire competitive weekend on that? And most people say no. Yeah. Yeah, I... I... That's a very, I think a set of very astute observations, um, things that are not necessarily unique to flesh and blood, um, in, in issues that should be looked at, uh, you know, in various TCGs. However, I think, I do think the living legend status thing is the very unique element of that to flesh and blood. Um, yes. and, and I'm curious, I'm just curious to watch, uh, over the next year to, to see how, you know, how the legends continue to progress and if um, if the company ever decides to tweak that to, uh, you know, to, if they decide that any of these do become serious problems that are sort of sort of creating too many bad experiences for the players who are looking for easier decks to play and stuff and, and find right. some way to sort of strike a balance, maybe. 
I didn't talk about a lot of the other elements involved in 2.0, but that was one of them, was a revisiting of the living legend and how to distribute points, um, which wasn't without its share of controversy. The idea sure. that you thought you were tracking it and then all of a sudden they change where the goalposts are. Right. Um, but to me, that felt rather like we picked a number before and that number wasn't very good. So we picked a different one. And like, I'm sure it was like it was, fairly arbitrary and, or like based right. on tournaments at the time. And then the game grows and they're like, Oh, okay, well, hang on now. We we're having like so many more tournaments now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely one of those things that's really a delicate balance that living legend. idea. Um, some people really feel like it punishes people for success. Um, and like there was a community around somebody who was getting close to hitting living legend where people were like, if you find yourself in the finals, throw the game. Like yeah. it wasn't actually happening. <laughs> I but was it thinking was, about that it too. It was the community's mantra. <laughs> like they were just kind of joking around and anytime there was a loss, they'd be like, oh yeah, they just realized they didn't want to be the one to pull the triggers. So they threw it, you know? <laughs> what a great like excuse that. to have when you, when yeah. you screw up or something. I was exactly. doing it for the community. I wanted you to be able yep. to still play this character. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, I mean, that one's always going to be delicate. You've got to make sure that they get that balance just right because there's a very real chance of it feeling like a punishment and not an acknowledgement of accomplishment. Um, so we'll see if they continue to hit that. They do, on the horizon, have a living legend format where the idea is the best of the best come back out to play. Oh, great. And. And that'll be cool once it gets to that point, but enough people have to retire before right. that pool can mean anything. Yeah. Um, so we got a little ways till we see that yet, but um, that could also be something that some people could really like. Uh, we were talking before about the Dragon Ball Z community. Like, I can see people who are like, I just want to absolutely beat down people with the best of the best mm. and just see who's left standing. And that, that could be a great format for them. So, yeah, totally. Um, did you have yeah. any other like pitfalls, hurdles, bumps on the road to talk about? I mean, there's the elephant in the room that has to do with um, feeling like you're getting your financial value out of your purchases. Yeah. That is unfortunately something all card games struggle with, and hitting that balance of I want the game to be accessible, but I want people to feel they have their value. I feel that they're doing an okay job on it, but there's always going to be room to improve that. Um, and you've already got problems in which quickly a couple of cards are identified as the ones that are going to carry way more value than they should. And all the rest of the card pool sinks and that's happening. And I think this is a consequence of the internet age as much as anything, because it felt less present when we were younger. Yeah. But these days it feels like so quickly the internet decides where the value lies and you bought a box and then three weeks later, you look back at what you got in that box and you're like, it wasn't worth a fourth of what I paid for it. Yep. And that's not, that's not really a fault of the product, but the market is hyper efficient these days. And so I think it's going to be on all TCG players to find ways to add value or at least feelings of value because they're not going to get out in front of this. The internet is just too effective at that. Mm. Um, and the communities just identify things too quickly. Um, and every so often you have some sleeper that everybody was overlooking and all of a sudden it spikes in value. But for the most part, people figure it out fast and it stays that way. And if anything, it just, the divide gets bigger. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I'm not sure where I land on, on whether or not it's like an answerable problem, but I have a hard time disagreeing with you also that, that the internet is certainly hyper-efficient at what they do. Um, a lot of companies trying, you know, trying their best at, uh, creating scarcity of certain things, um, foil cards, uh, rare, just like delineating card rarities further, um, to try and just try and create that scarcity that drives prices to be anywhere. Um, well, mm -hmm. ideally not, you know, making it too difficult on a player to pick up a deck that they need to play. So with, with options of doing reprints, chase versions of cards, you know, parallel foils, everything like there's all sorts of tools in the toolbox that, that various gaming companies do keep messing with. So I don't know that it's, it's, I, I mean, I guess, I could probably agree that it'll be difficult to ever make it like you just can't make it so that you open a box, you made more than your value back. And that happens every single time you open a box. Because it can't happen. It that's can't not happen. a realistic scenario. Right. But, and then the box is too cheap. So, you know, you can't, it can't yep. ever end up that way. But, but there's maybe, there's maybe a, a, a world where the extremes are a little more pulled in, right? So it's like your boxes, sometimes you get a little more value. Sometimes you get a little less value. But you're right. never like and hosed. You can also win with the appearance of value. You mm. can go with flashy things that look really cool. And maybe you go online and you can't flip it for anything, you know? But if it looks cool and you felt cool pulling it, that's still worth something. That still carries some weight. Like we all understand the hobby that we're in. We know that mm. generally we're not making bank off of this. You know? You're yep. you're gambling as part of the fun and like some of the money you're spending is for the experience, not for the product. And that that's okay. If, if you go into it, knowing that, so make the experience more exciting and you're adding value, even if the end product isn't more valuable. Yeah. Oh man. I, I again, couldn't agree with you more. I knew you had good taste, Alex. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the last thing I want to cover here, um, I think that's, I think that's, that generally covers, you know, like it sounds like generally flesh and blood has a lot of the problems that most TCGs are kind of just sort of, you know, always wrestling with a little bit, always trying to improve on. Um, and the last thing I wanted to cover is just a quick look back at the releases this year. Cause we've already gone quite long here, but um, yes, <laughs> I, I just want, I'm not going to keep you too much longer, but I just want a quick look back at between Everfest uprising and dynasty, Alex, I want you to tell me uh, the, the, this is gonna be the hard question, best set and worst set. Okay. All right. So there is an apples to oranges comparison going on here for the reason that of those three sets, uprising was draftable. You could oh, go yes. to an event, but the other two were those um, expansion sets is what they call them now that I referred to earlier, yep. where it's an infusion of new cards for everybody's card pool. It's exciting for deck building, but there's not an in-person gameplay experience that goes along with it. And this game has some of the best seal that I've seen in a card game because they think about it right down to the distribution of each individual pack. Um, they, it's not to say that there's like mapping going on or something like that, but in a pack, they have slots for things, you know? So the first card that you open in a pack is going to be this type of a card um, all the way through it, which means that when you play a sealed event, they have some idea of what options are going to be available to you. Um, 
and it makes for really interesting decision-making and it makes the experience really solid. Um, so in that regard, it's really hard to list a full on draftable set below any of the expansion sets. Um, just because it offers the deck building, but it also offers that in-person event. And that's so enjoyable and so exciting. Those are also the ones where primarily they introduce us to new characters um, and new decks. Um, and so everything there is wildly exciting and new and fresh, and you don't really know what you're getting into. Um, along with that, um, the characters who are introduced all made a really solid impact in that set. Um, you had, you had the introduction of dragons to the artwork and the lore for the first time. Now they are illusions. It is an illusionist character who is summoning mm. dragons of like lore and history and stuff like that. Um, and so like, there's this cool element to which there are dragons on the board, but they also aren't any stronger than other things that you run into when you really press up against them. Um, and we got a wizard who deals with ice, um, which gave us our first real tempo disruption, kind of a gameplay taxation on costs, stuff like that. What you'd expect from ice. Um, and then we got the fire ninja five who is just flat out able to go faster and harder than a lot of characters. Um, but there's that risk that anytime you put on too much aggro, you leave yourself open to getting hit on the backside. So, um, so those were all really exciting. Now, personally, I am a deck builder and I love when an expansion set comes out and I get to pull every one of my decks back out and I, I list them all on my whiteboard and I color code according to how much the rebuild is going to be like, is this just a couple of cards or does everything come out and start from scratch? Like I get really excited about that. Like for the next month and a half, I'm going to be workshopping all of my decks and that's really fun. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not a shared experience in the same way. So to that regard, I'm going to put the dynasty release as the second best uprising was the best. Um, but dynasty did some really cool stuff and they're always learning from the mistakes they've made in the past. And so this one was a very exciting feeling. Release. Um, Everfest is going to bring up the rear. Um, it had less of an impact on some of the decks that needed to get shook up. Um, and it also debuted the aforementioned Bravo uh, star of the show who lived up to his name and spent about a month in tournament formats before he had hit living legend so i mean that was <laughs> unpleasant so business I, you know i say that and as i'm thinking about it, i'm like maybe it was three months but i'm just going to keep saying a month and someone can correct me if that's wrong fair enough it probably it, felt it's like what a it month. felt like yeah yep, exactly <laughs> so well, okay, awesome. Yeah, I, I, I mean, point taken certainly on the draft format, and and that is due to my lack of uh, of deep understanding of the game that I missed that, and it's, and uh, for what it's worth, also Uprising introduced the Marvel rarity, right? And so having yes. some like gigantic full art dragons, I mean, f for me, that and probably would have just put it to the top anyway, regardless of anything else. I mean, when I go into the shop and they they're giving me free play space, I like to spend some money there. I think that that's a fair exchange, you know. Yeah. Um, but I also, I buy my stuff 
when it comes out, you know? And so like that ongoing expense is more for them than it is for me because I've invested heavily to start with so that I can do my deck building. Um, so things like the Marvel rarity add something that you're still pursuing. It gives you a reason to keep opening packs. And I really enjoyed that about that release um, because I wasn't just doing it to, you know, throw money at the shop. There was still stuff I'd be excited to open. Um, and it didn't matter to the gameplay, but it matters to the collection. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I always try to remind people too, if when you're being, there are some exceptions to this, but if you're a TCG hobbyist, if you're someone like us, who's just like, who loves to just play them, you know, itching to get them. If you haven't been playing for a while, it's the TCG hobby. Isn't just about optimizing numbers and playing games, but there is a, there is it's, it's enjoying the art. It's enjoying that experience of opening packs. Like you said, it's, it's enjoying the chase too. Sometimes of just like, it's right. exciting to have something of not having it. Yeah. That you haven't had yet. It's exciting to, to want it. It's exciting to, it's nice to just be able to want something and not right. have it like, right away. <laughs> like it would be miserable to not have a wants list going at all times. Like there's gotta be things that you still are looking for. That's, that's the fun. Yep. I agree totally. Well, Alex, this has been this has been enlightening for me certainly as well, and I, I hope for for our audience here um, a great discussion. I think about a game that uh, to summarize it, um, I think out of all of our lookbacks, Flesh and Blood is the one where it has had the the steepest positive climb um, in 2022 of of just a and not it wasn't in a bad place but as you said last year was certainly a a a rough year in a number of ways just like f a, a, some uncertainty about what's going on but um flesh and blood feels like it is sitting at such a high peak right now and it actually doesn't feel like it's going down either it feels like there's another peak right on the way next year so um I, I have really loved having your uh your perspective on everything as someone who's uh, deeply in the game and and loving every minute of it and posting content all the time. So again, I really do appreciate you coming on to discuss with, the, yeah. with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I'm I'm going to give you one one chance here. Any do you have any any last parting comments? Anything where you'd feel like if you did not include this in the Flesh and Blood 2022 discussion, we'd get comments about it down below. The biggest thing that I would say is if you know that it's getting played somewhere. And, and at all it interests you, just check it out. We have an incredibly friendly community, and I don't want anybody to feel like it's trying to be sales pitched or anything like that. Um, but just giving a fresh game a chance, something that's different, something that's new, um, you can probably attest to this. It doesn't have to be for you, but it's neat to try something that's different. And I think you'll really come away and you'll be like, wow, that's not like another game. And maybe maybe that's not a good thing for you. But I think the bigger thing is, um, in general, it's easy to feel like you're sunk, like you're stuck, to have that sunk cost fallacy and be like, I play this game, so I've got to stick with this game. And like, try new things, try different games. I mean, we went down the history of what both of us are playing and this sounds like your channel's mantra but like just try out different things because you never know when you're going to find something that you enjoy um so just give new games a shot yeah I, I mean again couldn't agree more 
Well, Alex, this has been, again, like I said, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you all for listening to another hefty, hefty episode of the Main Deck Podcast, looking back at uh, our fifth game of the year. We've got three more coming. We've got Final Fantasy, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon Leftover. So actually, some heavyweight ones still coming up here and uh, and some, some, very, um, some ones that we on the channel are very fond of as well. So um, a number of different guests will be joining us for these episodes. So I do hope you guys look forward and swing back to pick up those episodes either on our YouTube channel or on the pod catcher of your choice. Um, but again, as always, thank you guys for listening so much. Thanks again, Alex, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. I hope you guys have a wonderful night. Oh yeah, shout out to our patrons for joy for uh, supporting us. Everything uh, you do makes it, um, everything you do for us makes us able to do this for you. A little bit of a back and forth there. And oh, Alex's camera has gone all wild here. I think he's just swinging off. So <laughs> I'm gonna end this alone. I hope you guys have a wonderful night. We'll catch you on the next one. Have fun gaming. We'll see you next time.